Last day of school. Oh, it's all right. It's all good. <laughs> we're ready to just go be loved by Jesus and live the life. Amen? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to cover some questions. I've got a whole stack here. If you guys would give me a grace in the beginning, there's a couple online questions that are like phenomenal questions. I don't want to... I could probably try to track these people down. I want to answer them for their sake, but they're, they're, they're powerful questions. They're, they're like... They could seem like hot potato questions. To me, they're really not. Because uh, you've got to understand that when I'm preaching especially when I'm preaching Old Testament slash New Testament, New Covenant, I'm aware of, of all these other scriptures that are in the New Testament in the Bible. I'm, a, I'm aware that Ananias and Sapphira fell over dead. I'm aware that Herod fell over dead. So I understand and I have more that I'm aware of that these people didn't even mention. Uh, but I want to address that in light of these questions so that no one's confused, okay? And uh, it would just be good. So... And I got a couple other questions I'll try to get to. Some are from the school. And then if we have any time with these questions right here, this is like a week probably. So it'll just, it'll just be insightful. So let's just hang in there for the last day. You guys did that for the whole school anyway. Didn't know where we were going. So let's just go on a journey. You ready? So Father, we just thank you. We're going to pray at the end too, guys. Uh, and I'll just, just bless you guys. We're just going to pray. I just want to take some time at the end and just uh, thank God for all he's done and just bless you guys and we'll see what God wants to do through prayer there, okay? So Father, we just thank you right now. We thank you for these 13 weeks. We're wrapping it up today. We have some questions. We ask for your wisdom. Most of all, we ask for understanding, God, that our hearts would just see what you're saying, that there'd be no confusion in our midst, that, Lord God, you'd, you'd teach our hearts to be at peace and our minds to search out and get understanding, that we wouldn't stress, that we wouldn't fret, that we, we wouldn't react intellectually. Teach us, God. I'm asking you to begin to continue to teach us to live from the heart, Lord, and be at peace in all things and find rest in you. And Father, just knowing that you're good, your nature, you sent your son, that there's always an answer. Even if we don't see it, we know there's an answer in you because you've revealed your nature through the son of God. You've revealed who you are when you sent Christ while we were yet sinners. You're very merciful. You're amazing and your mercy endureth forever. So Father, let your nature comfort us and bring us understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, I'm going to answer this one real quick, and, and uh, there was another question brought to me, kind of like this. This is from somebody in the school. I don't know. Somebody knows who wrote this. It says, how do you handle being with your family when everything that comes out of their mouth is negative? Uh, the other one I had was, how do you handle when you're in a family and everybody's totally cerebral? <laughs> it just was funny. <laughs> cerebral. Yeah, you, you, uh, you, you leave your family. No, I'm kidding you. No, that's what people think. That's what people think. And, and they think, you know, hey, there's no way. And uh, that's why I said that lightheartedly. Even the negativity, it, it can seem overwhelming. That's what, do you see what we started this school with? Is love, becoming love, seeing people for who they are and letting our hearts cry be for people instead of because of people. There's a big difference between those two. So when your family's negative, when they're only cerebral, there's, there's a place, first of all, to have your heart to see them in a right perspective and not just be frustrated. I'm just going to tell you straight. When you're frustrated, you have no voice in their life. Don't even try to speak to them if you're frustrated. 
Because if you're frustrated, you're just going to produce, it's just a strange fireplace. A preacher could come up from the pulpit and begin to preach from a place of spite, unrest, unsettlement, use the authority of the pulpit to try to prove a point and contest and, and have issues that are unresolved in his life and actually produce bad things. You can do that. You're very responsible when you stand here for having your heart in a good place. Very responsible. And it's sobering to me. I could cry about that one. That's one I don't think we understand like we should understand. It's very serious. So you guys, and you guys see how passionate I am and all that stuff about stuff, how I can laugh and all of a sudden I'm crying and how sometimes it almost seems like I'm mad on certain topics. It's never a people. But I have to steward all that and understand where I'm coming from all the time in that. When I go home and I'm alone with God, I have to know the why behind my heart. No matter what it looks like to people, I'm the one that lives with me and I know I'm the steward of my heart. So you have to be very careful that you're not just trying to be right, change your family, endure your family. You want to ask Jesus to put his heart in you in such a way that when you see the most negative family that you feel like is on the earth and it happens to be yours, that you see them through truth with compassion, with love, so that you can begin to be a person, even if they're cynical and, oh yeah, there goes Miss Positive. You know what I'm saying? Even if they're cynical, where the consistency of your life, the, the non-change of your life is more important than you think. It's not just the words you speak, it's the life you live. So they need to see consistency to where all of a sudden, wonder if you begin to earn a voice in their life. Wonder if the words you're speaking are few, but they're pinpointed and they're working more than you realize. Do you see what I mean? The thing is, you can't lose heart. You can't just let a negative family dominate truth in your life. Are you following me? You can't let a cerebral family dominate truth in your life. So what I told the one student is, in a, a cerebral family that's just thinking out of their head, talking, uh, I said, there's times when your heart's right, when you don't have pretense, when you're not you know, frustrated or just trying to set them straight. There's times where you can just ask a family member when they're saying something almost just belligerently, and it's something you hear they say a lot or whatever, or they're just in a mindset, to ask them, what makes you think that way? I'm just curious. Look, I'm not debating. Now, I, I want to know why you say that. I hear you talk in that manner a lot. Where'd you get that? How do you believe that? Why do you believe that? And just get them to really think about what they're saying and why they believe what they believe. Some people have never even looked and considered the foundation of truth in their life and why do I believe the things I believe? You see what I mean? And there might be a voice at that time to just, just sow a little bit. You're not Bible bashing them. You're not wielding a sword. Well, you know, it's just funny. The reason I ask because I see it totally different. This is how I see it. And I'm not trying to change you or correct you. I'm curious to see why you say that because I can't see that. This is what I see. Bam. And you're just imparting some level of truth, holding their heart in account to why do I believe that? Why am I so confident? Why do I say that all the time? Because some people can't even answer you. It's just what they learned their whole life and it's what they've learned to say. And it's just really neat because I and you and I need to know why we say what we say and where it comes from. Not that I need to qualify everything in the sense that I'm always in a place where I need to defend, but I need to know why I believe what I believe. Isn't that important? So that I know I'm walking in truth. And if it's founded in Christ, if it's founded in His Word, so if somebody's just intellectual and, and that, you can start to impart uh, levels of, of questioning that stuff. At a, I'm telling you, it's usually at small levels. I have a couple family members I've had to do this with where it's almost touch and go. 
Serious. But I have a couple good testimonies. I, I, I don't need to get into the depth of them right now. But they were touch and go to where in time people saw consistency, saw my life, recognized my heart, didn't feel threatened by me after a while. See, when you stand for something different immediately to a person that's not really pursuing God is just threatened by your, the difference. Yeah. And they're, in, they're, they're like, you know, they're quick bricklayers. <laughs> So, so the negative thing is walk in life or light, uh, speak truth. Don't be afraid if they think you're mispositive. It's okay. Well, you know, guys, it just does no good to me to think this way. What do you have to hope in? Where's joy ever coming from? And there's, it's, there's times where you'll find when your heart's in the right place, God will give you grace to go zoop and just address some of that negativity. You follow what I'm saying? Did you have a question or comment? Yeah. I have a brother in law. Okay. And as soon as we talk start I can repeat it, Sue. As soon as you talk about God, he'll get up and leave the house. Okay. He's Terry said and I have a brother in law. As soon as we talk about God, he'll get up and leave the house. Uh, there's people like that. You, you're not compelled to, to, to make them more mad and chase them and say, you're going to listen to me. I mean, you could get Patty to block the door. You guys could tackle him and hold him down till he repents. I don't know. But a lot of those situations, I would encourage you, true heart intercession. True heart intercession for a love for him. God, he does that supplication thing we talked about the other day. God, he doesn't see, he doesn't understand. There's a frustration, right? There's a wall that's trying to keep him from you in his soul. And I'm asking you to break that for his sake, God, so he can see the beauty of who you are. Father, we're praying that you begin to move on him supernaturally and touch the inside of his heart and begin to open him to your voice, open him to your word, open him to people. Father, even sending people, if we're a threat to him, God, sending people that aren't a threat to him, just surprise him, Lord, out in the marketplace one day. Just slip up on him through some one that you've ordained and just mark his heart for your glory intercession and pray don't feel overwhelmed like i gotta man like uh one student said i i i, I uh, i'm afraid these people are getting older they're not getting any younger and i want them to know truth well take that true concern to god in prayer but don't let it drive you to where you're touching them wrong you follow me so Right. And I know I sit there, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to. Well, see, there's the example. Go ahead. Right. Well, what Patty's saying is I have a relative that always says, well, I don't think this, well, I don't believe this, well, I don't think this. And they're real quick to share what they think and believe. That's the part where I'm saying, ask them where they get their belief. Well, I can respect that. I'm just curious, how can you be so sure in what you're saying you believe? Is it just a feeling? Where do you base that on? Where do you, and I take them a little deeper. I get them to think, why, how are you so sure? How do you really know? How, when you say, well, I don't think, have to go to church. Is that just something you came up with to support your own desire, your own life? Or where do you get that belief? Are you originating your own belief system? Are you a God unto yourself with your own mind? Or did you get that from somewhere? I'm just curious. And then, and then I would take them if they're open and, and they're conversive. And if they just, well, listen, I don't want to talk about it. Well, I see you don't want to talk about it. And that actually concerns me. Look, I love you. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know how family can be. 
But what I'm saying is you say, listen, but I'm concerned and, and et cetera, et cetera. And you, and you sow into them and don't let them just blow it off like it's nothing. And you speak to them in a way where you see they're going to think about that. And then what I look for is an avenue in, in somebody's heart and life and family, especially is to say, listen, uh, that's the whole thing that happened. I'll explain the fall, the tree, man after knowledge, mind being a God unto himself. Now man's in control. He has God in his own mind and his way is right. And then you share that Jesus is the revelation of the Father and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, the way that seems right to man. The more access you get, the more you can explain the whole truth. And the more they can go, oh my goodness. And one day actually see and say, thanks for being patient with me. Thanks for loving me and laugh and say, there was a time I was, man, I was so arrogant. And you'd be like, well, it's okay. Because <laughs> you want to go, yeah. <laughs> but but the, the, they don't understand. See, so why do you have that belief? I, I would look in relationship and family like that and not just be, sometimes we get too intimidated. We already believe how they're going to respond. We get presumptuous in that way. Well, they're not just going to not going to listen. So then three years go by and the whole time we're believing they're just not going to listen. And we don't even minister anything to them. And I would say that's love not our own life unto death. I see you, hon. That's not love not our own life unto death. And that's speak some truth now and then. Ask God for little windows and make sure your heart's pure. You don't want to do it. Listen, guys, you don't want to speak to them if you're, if you're just frustrated. You don't want to speak to them if you just have a need to correct them and be right and set them straight. Don't even open your mouth. Get your heart right. Okay? It's not about being right. It's about loving people. Go ahead. Sure. It's a testimony of Fraser Foote. Okay. A child wouldn't listen to anything about the Holy Spirit a number of years ago, moved away, and in Korea, God changed her heart. She's been, here she sits, the child that I couldn't talk to. I prayed for her. I loved her, but it was God that moved in her heart. Beyond me. Here she is. <laughs> Amen. Well, that's the key. You don't give up on people. You don't write people off. You don't mark them for where they're living, what they're doing. Not that, that Mandy was in, we're not suggesting she was in a terrible place. But what we're saying is if somebody doesn't even seem to want to listen, we start interceding, thanking God and manifesting love, staying in a healthy place this way. Isn't that what God did to every one of us? Isn't that why we're all sitting here filled with his spirit? So don't we want to do follow his way? And do what he did. Amen. It's just a big deal. So I took that question first. I just wanted to answer. I don't even know where I set that little paper. But okay, there it is. But I have, uh, I have a lot of questions here. I'm going to take a couple. I'm going to take a couple of the. What would probably. If we'd read them and just go. Whoa. And uh, I want to face them on head on. And hit them right in the beginning. Because I don't know how long they'll take. Let, let's do them. Okay. I got two here. They're kind of back to back. They're both online students. And I felt in my heart it was good to take these because they're really good questions. And plus you guys, they're online. You've had the liberty to ask lots of questions freely for 13 weeks. And we take, and the online students, I mean, they, they, they probably have a lot of questions. I think, if Susan, I don't even know where she is, but I think they were sending in a lot of questions. They only handed me a couple. They were trying to handle them. But these are incredible good questions. Thanks for all you're doing. Etc. Etc. Thanks for sharing with us. Joy. Yeah. Could you comment on the following scriptures in light of the teaching on 1 Corinthians 13 and love, and living in the age of the new covenant in grace? 
These are the main scriptures I've always had a problem trying to understand how they fit together with love and long-suffering, laying down your life, love and forgiving your enemies, etc. They seem to contradict each other. And they have a list of an iris and Sapphira, Herod eaten by worms. Second uh, Timothy 4, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. This is Paul writing, the Lord will render him according to his works. That one's not real hard to understand. What he's saying is if... If Alexander doesn't change his ways, he's heading for a sad day. <laughs> that's, that's all he's saying. So that one's not tight. He's saying, look, he has contested the body of Christ. He has tried to stop the work of God. He has done me much harm. And he's going to reap what he's sown. He's sown into the flesh. And of the flesh, he's going to reap corruption. But he doesn't say there's not a chance there to repent, etc. But he says the Lord will render him according to his works. Uh, but these, so that's, that one's not a hard one. Herod eaten by worms, Ananias and Fiverr. I want to talk about a couple others too. And uh, Second Peter, we'll look at that then in a minute. And then this other fellow, David. Uh, David, we're going to hit your question today head on, buddy. So I know you're watching this at some point. And uh, he was, he's really, bless your heart. We're going to answer this. You calm down and you be at peace. <laughs> Amen. So he's being real gracious, but he's letting me know that he really needs truth in his life. And he's talking about some of the scriptures like in Revelations, talking about Jezebel in the church. She has filtered into the church. He's affirming the church. But I have this against you, Jezebel, tolerating her, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll look at that scripture because it actually reads... Uh, pretty intense language. It's talking about repentance. So I want you to see some things. Uh, oh, there's two more I want to address. Paul was on a horse. Because we, remember we taught about God's not judging you with sickness. God doesn't use sickness to teach you lessons. You can't take old covenant to challenge new covenant, right? And let's just go. Let's just... Am I on? Okay, I heard that pop. I thought I... Acts 12... And I want you to see a common line. And David, I know you're listening to this question. He really had a passionate question about this. And I think a lot of people do. You have to understand that when I'm preaching what I'm preaching, I've read this, I've read this Bible a whole bunch, okay? So when I'm preaching, I know these scriptures are here, all right? But can you tell that I have a real confidence in what I'm preaching when I'm preaching on God's will and all that stuff? So these scriptures haven't stumbled me in preaching what I preach. So, and I know they're there. But there's a common line with every incident that you have to see. The only one that's troubling that I can't totally explain clear because I don't think we understand the atmosphere and the timing with Ananias and Sapphira. That one in my natural mind seems strict and, and troubling. It almost seems like, whoa. Because these people just said, uh, they, just, they just... But there had, to, there had to be something. And that one I'm being real frank with you and there's another scripture I don't understand in the Bible and I've asked the Lord Todd and I have talked about it. he actually brought it up to me years ago and I said I, I don't know and I told him the position and I'll explain later but it's in 1 John 5 and it says if you see a brother sinning and about praying for him that but it says if he's as long as he's not sinning a sin according to death or leading to death but I don't say that you should pray for one committing a sin leading to death and, but he just got done talking about false teachers, apostate people, children of the devil, people that are doomed for destruction. Here's the deal. Do you believe God knows the heart of every man? Yes. Do you believe that God knows that if a man will never change, never repent, even if he woos him, does God know that there's pharaohs out there that the more signs you give him, the harder he becomes? Yes. 
Do you think God knows that stuff? Every time you see a judgment like this in the Bible, it's in a situation like that. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with Christians. It has nothing to do with people. I actually know a work in a ministry. Now, I don't pray this way, personally. But they have strong faith to pray this way. And they do a lot. And they tell some scary testimonies. They pray, God, if you see they're not going to change. And you know that by the end of their course, they won't have changed. But they're just going to hurt, cause lambs to stumble, sheep to be divided. If they're not going to change, judge them, take them out. But listen to how they're praying, though. If you see, they're not going to change. I don't, I don't ever want to, in my heart, I'm so, I don't want to, I don't want to even determine if they're not. They're not determining they're not. They're saying, if you see, they're not. And I can't say that I disagree with them. John had some kind of revelation, and I've never understood the scripture. Let's just go there quick. I'll go there, and then we'll go back to Herod. No, I'm sorry. Stay at Acts 12. I'm not meaning to frustrate you. Let's read this quick. Let's, let's kick this thing off and give you an example. Because the, the language here can be troubling to some because it directly makes the Lord involved. And it's just direct. So here's Acts 12. Acts 12 is a serious, heavy persecution scripture. And Herod's mentioned the whole way through. He throws some boys in prison, right? Yep. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, it's pretty serious. He's uh, throws some boys in prison. James gets beheaded. Peter gets let out of prison. He killed James with the sword. That's verse 2. So Herod's got James and Peter in prison. He kills James with the sword. And he's intended to do the same with Peter. An angel lets Peter out, right? Okay, so verse 20 Oh, and then in verse 19, I mean, this guy, Herod, <laughs> see, when I see someone like Herod, I feel like I want to pray and cry and ask God to come and change his heart, change his life, save him. God, he doesn't know. So there's a way we would pray for Herod. I don't know anything else, and I don't want to assume that Herod is an apostate, antichrist, agreeing child of the devil. So that part I don't understand. I don't want to do that. But I'm going to show you some language that's very synonymous in these judgments. <clears throat> but God knows Herod. God knows the long picture. God knows the stuff. I, I, don't, I don't totally understand how we're supposed to know according to John and we'll read it in a minute so stick with me now Herod had been very angry in verse 20 but look in verse 19 why he was angry Herod searched for Peter and didn't find him he examined the guards and when he wasn't sufficed what he do he just killed all of them so he kills James he's going to kill Peter when Peter's away because the Lord delivered Peter and he couldn't find Peter and the guards couldn't explain because it was a supernatural deliverance now the guards all died so this man's on a tangent and a tear, and it's not just that. There's something about the heart. There's something about the human heart and people not changing. You're going to see it in Peter's language. You're going to see it in 1 John. You're going to see it in, in, uh, with this situation. And then I'm going to show you two other places where, well, especially one where judgment came, but it wasn't this way. And it will all make sense when we're done. 
Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but when they came to him with one accord and having made Blastus the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration yeah, to yeah, speech to them. And the people kept shouting the voice of a God and not a man. If you look at the Acts visual Bible on that, Herod stands up and he's got his, I think it's a big purple robe, like a royal robe. And he's like, did you see it before? And he's just like this. And all of a sudden he goes, and he just drops. And I'm like, oh my God, that's pretty intense is God just is anybody going to get a rip off at the judgment seat so God knows all things knows the hearts of many knows big pictures he knows stuff so this situation has nothing to do with the Christian life this has nothing to do with God towards us everything we're teaching in the school isn't threatened by this story even a little bit you see what I'm saying this isn't somebody that stumbled and said oh my God this is somebody that has totally set his heart against God. Killing God's people, killing his own people. And now he's taking the praise of God and he's set totally against. God knows all things. God knows stuff like this. I could tell you a couple testimonies of, of judgment that I'm aware of that are frightening. That I don't even talk about. But I know them and I understand them, but I still preach what I preach. Because I'm not preaching... I'm preaching to Christians. I'm preaching to people that care. Do you know how many people came to me in my Christian life concerned they blasphemed the Holy Spirit? And, and were sure they committed the unpardonable sin. And I said, you, there's no way. The fact that you care about it. He's talking about people that totally disregard his working and totally deny him. The fact that you care means there's no way you blasphemed him and, and, and part, unpardonable sin. The fact that you even have the question means you're fine. Would you get on with God? <laughs> You see what I mean? But it's, it's the way, see, these kind of stories, the way Satan wants to use them. I believe it's a, it's a confusing thing. Satan wants to use them as if this is us. He's, this is Herod. I'm not talking to a room full of Herods. You're not in this school because you have Herod's heart. Herod wouldn't be in our school. He'd bring an army in here to kill us. He's not seeking God. He's set himself totally against God. Alexander the coppersmith set himself totally against God. And Paul knows. Paul knows because he's saying, well, the Lord's going to render him. God, help that man. And think of what Paul's thinking because Paul knows. Paul, there was a man that was coming against justice. We'll probably look at it. And, 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 and the truth. And he, and he talked to him. And, and he told him about his heart and what he always does. And always sets his way against God. And he said, you will be blind for a time. Now here's Paul, a minister of the gospel. Love, mercy, grace, forgiveness. But out of the blue, he defines this man's heart as, a, he calls him a son of the devil. And he, bam, and he's instantly blind. Now that's not sickness, blind, the rest of you. He said blind for a time. What is it? It's actually a form of mercy. And God's bam. And he's blind. He can't see. That happened to Paul on the horse for three days. 
Because the light was so bright and it's like, wow, I couldn't see. And it's more prophetic and beautiful than you think. He's blind for those several days and he opens his eyes, brand new life. It's almost like a baptism into new life to me. He was blind to all that knowledge and intellect, everything he was ever taught. It's all rubbish now. Wow, open my eyes and I see. So it was like I was blind, now I see. See, that stuff has nothing to do with what we're talking about, sickness coming through sin and people paying the price for their sin. No, when you're repentant, when your heart's going after God, even in your weakness, He'll make you strong. His grace is sufficient for you. There's, there's so much help in God. When Paul talks to a man like that, I'm not teaching a school filled with that man. And that's the only occasion you can see Paul doing that, but he identified him. And it says, we'll look at it, it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. So God knows the hearts of men. We're not sons of the devil. We're not looking to miss it. You're in the school because you want God. You have nothing to do with these stories. These stories are a sober thing and they're a humbling thing to say, oh my goodness, who are we to stand against God when he's the creator and has this big plan and now we're not just standing against God, totally co-laboring with the devil and causing harm to innocent souls and all this stuff. If God's looking, it appears that if God's looking into the heart of a man and so decides and says, Herod is, is destruction, he's hurting, he's this, and there's, there's no change. Who knows God's wooing and drawing and breathing on people and, 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 and some people run harder the harden their heart you see what I'm saying? God's not a, a puppeteer master he's not, a, he's not up in heaven with a remote control Jennifer you will worship me oh, 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 oh. that's weird He's wooing her heart with his nature, his love, his message of restoration. And she's going, oh. And we're children. We're not puppets. We're not robots. We're children. He tells you that when he's actually addressing this man. He calls him a child too. Just the wrong daddy. Do you understand that when he says you will be blind for a time, that's a rare thing. That's the only time you see Paul moving like that, but you see God doing it a couple times, but it's a different thing this couple times. This man fell over dead. This guy's blind for a time. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good wake-up call. But it takes something very, very... It takes you to be in a place that you and I have probably never even dabbled near for that to be in those shoes. It's a totally different thing. This is a totally different thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the mercy in it is that God just said for a time. Why? Because mercy is saying to wake up and change. To be sober. To back off. Stop being so presumptuous. Why don't you change bloodlines? Herod didn't get that. Herod just, boom. Is God unjust? God knows. We're not preaching to a school of Herods. Do you see what I'm saying? Because watch this. But they came to him with one accord, having, and they, they made him out to be God, and he feasted on that. The voice of a God, not a man. And immediately, watch what it says, an angel of the Lord struck him. That's, that's, there's no other way to say it. It's flat out judgment. It's moving him out of the way. Because of where his heart is. 
Does God know if a man's not going to change? Does God know if grace is being thwarted and hardness is continuing? Is God the one hardening? Absolutely not. Jesus died once for all. It's his desire that all men be saved. All men be filled with the knowledge of truth. He takes no pleasure. Don't think God went, ha, 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 ha. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's what your Bible says. But that the wicked would turn and change and repent. Wonder if a man sets himself against God and, and refuses to repent. Well, in the end, he's going to be what? Judged. There, you can actually find the love of God in that. It's amazing. So these are scenarios that have nothing to do with the Christian. These are extreme scenarios, and, and I, I have some things that I don't totally understand. Well, look, he struck him, and, and because he didn't give glory to God, he was eaten by worms and died. <sighs> now, my Bible notes, I don't agree with them there. They don't, I mean, let's just say the guy was eaten by worms and died. That's what your Bible says. This says he probably had some intestinal obstruction and this and that, and we don't know the medical cause of this divine judgment that incurred. And I'm thinking, the Bible says he was eaten with worms and died. It's a pretty humbling thing. It's a sign of, it's just, it's gross. So, worse than a worm. The worms have dominion over you. There's messages there. You've made yourself worse than a worm, but you were created to be a son. You made yourself worse than a worm. There's, 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 that's sobering to me. That's not injustice. God knows all things. You, you and me have to lock our heart into the nature of God and His goodness because His goodness leads us to change. But you understand that James is dead. Peter, it's not like Paul. It's a different heart than Paul had watching the clothes of Stephen. Paul didn't have Herod's heart. Probably very few do. There's only how many incidences in the whole New Testament of these kind of things. One, two. There's actually two. Ananias and Sapphira and Herod. And then there's a couple that are obviously judgments or pending judgments if there's no change. But every time you'll see the language is common. So Paul, very reachable, just misinformed. Zealous. For God and for the law. Watching the clothes, believing he's doing God a favor. Not obstinate to God. When they're killing Stephen, he's believing they're helping God. It's a whole different heart than Herod. Herod's totally obstinate to God. He's killing because of God. Not to help God. Do so you see the difference in the heart? Paul's watching the clothes of Stephen... So he's killing Christians. He's getting decrees and going and dragging them to prisons and driving into cities on horses to get Christians. He was a feared man. But the whole time he believed he was doing right. He actually believed he was helping the cause. Totally different heart than Herod. You understand? So don't get confused about this stuff. So what's Paul get? Well, Paul gets a bright light, knocks, falls off his horse, horse rears, he falls. And the bright light and the voice speaks. That's a pretty amazing form of grace after you just killed Christians. Come on, think with me. You just killed Christian and then you persecuted more. There's no evidence that he actually killed more. People say he did. But I know he arrested a lot and tortured a lot and messed with a lot and put a lot of hurt on a lot. It does reveal that. 
It's a pretty merciful thing to have a bright light come, knock you off your horse, and you can't see. And then you go over to a man, Anias, and say, Hey, go down the street, down Taurus, wherever, and go in there, and, and you find a man named Saul. Touch him, pray for him. He's a servant of mine. He goes and scales fall off his eyes. Scales. Scales fall off his eyes. Why? Because God knew he was zealous. He was misinformed. To us, he looks evil and wicked. See, he knows the heart. God knows the heart of every man. So Paul doesn't get eaten by worms. But it looks like he's done the same thing as Herod. But he really, he's nowhere near Herod. It's, it's two different heart things. God knows. He's so not unjust or he'd have never sent his son. He'd have just ate most of us with worms. But he knows we're not Herod's. We were Saul's. And he wants to make us Paul's. So he sent his son. Do you follow me? Now watch. Let me just get some headway here. Because I, I, I want you to go. Go to. Let's go to Acts 13. It's right there. Let's do that. I just. Sorry. I, I'll take you in a second Martha. Let me just. I need to make a couple things here. And just. I want to get rolling on this a minute. So the sorcerer fell in verse 8. He withstood them, okay, opposed them, seeking. Now, you don't see Paul ministering like this. You, you see Paul being very gracious and patient with a woman that's demon-possessed, crying out for days after them. Finally, he turns around and says, come out of her. You see him going into cities, preaching the gospel, knowing he's getting beat, laying down his life, showing mercy, preaching the truth, right? But here's this man... And he's getting in the way of the pro-council. And, and, and he's seeking to turn him away from the faith. So here's a guy that has set his heart totally against God. This guy is totally against God. And he's trying to obstruct the ministry of righteousness. Okay? So Paul, watch this. Then Saul, who is also called Paul. Now watch what he was. Filled with the Holy Spirit... You better be if you're going to say something like this. Are you hearing me? Because that's the giveaway right there that this was God. This was what God saw fit because he knew the heart of this sorcerer. Do you follow what I'm saying? And he, and he, and he bang. <laughs> wow. Yeah, this is the message. You bag of wind, you parody of the devil... Why you stay up nights inventing schemes to cheat people out of God. He's addressing a heart. He's addressing a heart. Do you hear this? Now watch though. He, he's not getting eaten with worms, so he's not even a Herod. But he sure is on that course. Come on, this is not hard to understand. This does not change the mercy of God and the New Testament reality that Christ is the revelation of God and healing is the children's bread. He's not talking about Christians that are struggling here, guys. He's not judging struggling Christians. In every incidence, they're called children of the devil and people that are a million miles from truth here and don't want any parts of truth. But this guy's not even in that category. Watch. He says, he's not a Herod. He's still with the Holy Spirit. He looked intently at him. You know why he looked intently? Because he's discerning. 
And there's authority and God's revealing his heart. You know a prayer I've prayed? I don't share this much. But you know a prayer I've prayed over the years? It hasn't always worked. <laughs> but I've prayed it. I said, please don't show me the motives of hearts. I don't want to know. It's too, it seems too risky. It's too fine of a line. I don't, I, only you, can, you know the motives of heart. Just teach me what to say. And how, I don't want to see what's moving people. Because we've lived by that, assuming, well, I think they're this. Well, I believe they're doing this for this. Well, I, and we're walking in judgment and don't even realize it. And I, that makes me nervous. I don't want to look at Terry and think that I have to know what's making him tick. I just want to believe him for what he says and let his life reveal that. But I'm not watching him to see if he's sincere. I don't do that to anyone. And I don't want to know that stuff. But there is times where God showed me things. One time in a vision showed me a lady and her face, I told you this probably, got black, a heart, a human heart, a medical human heart appeared over her picture in the, in the image I got. It was, it was the picture that I got of her. I mean, it was just one of those photograph things. The heart came over her face and I'm like, and I knew the lady and the heart just got darker and darker and darker till I couldn't see the lady. And I said, because I'm thinking she's sick. I'm thinking she has heart disease. Because I don't want to think she has a dark heart. I want to run from that stuff. And I just said, Lord, does she have sickness in her heart? Is, is, does she have a, is it a dark heart? He said, her heart is dark. I said, dark? Yes. And then he showed ill intent, ill motives, wrong uh, hypocrisy, saying one thing, meaning other things. That scares me. I don't, I've prayed to never get that, but it doesn't always work. But God filled with Holy Spirit in an experience, and that's one of them days where he hung a picture, so it was pretty obviously him to me because of just all that was going on in my heart. So I called the person right up and shared openly the vision. Openly. And they bawled and bawled and bawled and bawled. And it changed them. But I still am scared of that. I'm just being honest. I don't want that, really. <laughs> that has to be so God. You don't see Paul moving like this too much, huh? This is the only time you see it. So it's not some doctrine we're to pursue. This is a very extreme, rare occasion. And there's probably very few people that actually fit this description. Most people are just deceived. Listen to the description. Intended him and said, O oh, full of all deceit and all fraud. That means this guy had intent. This guy had more knowledge than you think. Come on. When you're fraudulent and filled with deceit, that means you're countering something. That means you're, you've set yourself against another form of knowledge or wisdom. This guy wasn't uninformed and clueless. He was a sorcerer. He's probably studied things out and he's just chosen a side. Not all witch doctors and people are just uh, misplaced. And psychics are just misplaced prophets and stuff. I know that's preached. Some of them choose that side because they find, they find greater fulfillment because of self and, and maybe an easier flow and movement without surrender and sacrifice in the Christian life. It just comes to them because it wants to use them. 
Sometimes it's a cheap ride. It's an easy ride. The power seems to be there and more accessible and available. The Christian life is seeking God and laying down your life. Not every psychic and witch doctor person is just misinformed. Some of them actually have set themselves against truth. But God knows. You're not to determine that. You pray for all men. The Bible says all men, etc., etc. And I'm going to look at this one in 1 John, and I'm still telling you I really don't understand it. Watch this. Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the... It's pretty heavy, isn't it? See, that's not something I encourage you to like go tell somebody. You don't see Paul walking around telling people that. that didn't. Watch. When his disciples wanted to call down fire on people that weren't receiving, Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. So those people certainly weren't the sorcerer, and those people certainly weren't Herod. But his disciples thought, hey, let's just use this power. Let's call it, hey, if they don't want to run with us, let's whack them. And Jesus was like, what? You don't even know what spirit you're of. So do you hear the mercy of God? It's all about the heart and God. You have to let God be in the position to be God on this one. And he knows everything about all men, and he knows the big picture. He knows the Herods and he knows the sorcerers. But he doesn't even have the sorcerer in the same category as Herod. You enemy of all righteousness. This is a pretty heavy verdict. You're son of the devil. Do you realize we're not talking about Christians here? You enemy of all righteousness. You will not cease perverting the straight way of the Lord. Or will you not? And now indeed, watch what he says. We're not muddying this up. We're saying what it's... Do you guys know that I know this stuff's in the Bible when I'm preaching what I'm preaching? Okay. So I've already made resolution in my heart on all this stuff. And I, I'm actually, I know the questions come. Because these are the same questions that come every time you preach. The hand of the Lord is upon you. So this was God, wasn't it? Because he's full of Holy Spirit. Is it merciful? You better believe it's merciful. Could have ate him with worms. There's a reason he didn't, and God knows why, and that's where you have to let him be a righteous judge in God. You understand? But this has nothing to do with the doctrine of healing, has nothing to do with the Christian and his right to redemption. This has to do with a man changing and stop perverting the way of righteousness. Watch this. You shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. It's actually a window of grace. It's a sign of mercy. It's actually the goodness of God. And immediately a dark mist fell on him. So did God have the ability to do this? Yeah, it's in the form of judgment. He's not doing it to a Christian, guys. He's not, he's not doing it. So you get on the phone and you get trapped and you start gossiping and don't even realize it. And you start gossiping a little and then all of a sudden you realize it, but you still finish the last three sentences. He's not talking about that. You don't see a mist coming over your eyes saying, okay, you want to live in blindness? Then be blind. <laughs> this is not what's happening here. This is a son of the devil, an enemy of all righteousness, not ceasing to pervert the straight way of the Lord. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's actually a sign of mercy. Paul himself was made blind for three days as a sign of mercy. Has nothing to do with sickness and the law of sin and death. Absolutely nothing to do with the Christian in New Covenant. These are people that aren't even thinking covenant. They're resisting covenant. 
you understand? So these things should not confuse us and cause trouble. Go to 2 Peter quick with me. One of our, when we preach love so much, one of the biggest challenges we probably have or threats we have is, and I say it, I say it, I say this phrase probably more in my inner circles of just friends and people is that we're not, we're not trying to mush love and make love a mushy thing. It's not like, oh, I love you. It's, love is very powerful. It's very mature. It's very strong. It's, it's, love is amazing. Do you see when Paul did that to that man that that's an actually for that man's situation and his, do you see the mercy of God in it? Do you honestly see the mercy of God in that? Because he was blind for a time. The love of God is in that. You say, well, where's the love of God for Herod? Do you think God loved Herod? Absolutely. Do you think he knows the big picture and what Herod set his heart on? He talks about sons of the devil. He talks about people doomed to darkness, people depraved, people that sell out to a degree, the apostates that, that, that are doomed for darkness. He talks about that a lot of places in your Bible. Here's what I've purposed to do. I don't try to choose who they are. I will never try to determine who they are. That's why 1 John 5 puzzles me, and I'm just being honest, and we'll look at it. But 2 Peter 2.12. <clears throat> Let's just, uh, let's just back up and read. Verse 4, chapter 2. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. He's saying let's learn from this. Let's understand what was going on and, and the law of sin and death and people reaping what they've sown now that Christ has come. Man, we have a whole better way, right? And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day and night, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of the temptations and to reserve the unjust. This is people that don't repent, won't repent, never repent. The unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially, these are people that have set, you're going to see, these are people that have set their way against the Lord. He's actually writing at the top of your paragraph, what's it say? Does it say anything? Mine has doom of false teachers. These are people that actually know the gospel. You hear me? It's amazing. The book of John, 1 John, the epistles, 2 John, 1 John, I mean, chapters 2, 3, 4, talks about false teachers a lot. Watch this. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They're presumptuous, self-willed. He's defining, a, he's not talking about you. They're not afraid to speak evil of authorities. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might don't bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Wow. But these people have become so proud. But these, watch, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil, 
See, they're snared by the truth now. They're exposed by the light. So they're set up to be judged if there's no repentance. He's actually writing here. This is what I don't totally understand. But God knows people. He's writing as if they'll never repent. I'm telling you as a teacher of the school, don't you start deciding who that is. Don't say, well, if my neighbor George didn't get saved by now, he ain't never getting saved. Don't you dare do that. You pray for him, you cry for him, and you show him love. Because you're not the one that releases any kind of judgment. Because you're not God, you're a child of God. And you're called to manifest Christ, manifest love. Paul, in one occasion, the Spirit comes upon him, he looks intently, and he marks a man for where his heart is. Pretty intense. Probably was right on the money. And the power of God backed his words, so it must have been ordained. You'll be glad. And a mist showed up and as he spoke. Power of life and death in the tongue. It wasn't speaking death. It was actually a sign of mercy. Uh, I saw your hand, Donna. Just give me a, a, a chance to get through this, please. Watch this. Speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. He's making you see they're perishing in their own corruption. They're, they're not perishing because God wants them to perish. Are you hearing it? Come on, it's just simple. Now watch. And they will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. That means in the light. They are spots and blemishes. Look, it sounds like, see, this is where you have to be careful. I've had people say, well, they're one of these people. Remember I told you the time where I burst out on the phone and I said, well, maybe you're one of the spots in our love feast. Maybe you're a blemish. Remember that I told you that when the man was on the phone and told me that God set him up with this woman and they were both in this relationship to heal from their spouses neglecting them. So they're sleeping together, having this little rendezvous to minister, rendezvous to, minister to one another sexually because their wives and husbands have neglected them. And they're telling me it was God. He's telling me on the phone it was God. And something rose up in me like all this. It's the only time I ever talked to a human being like that since I've been saved. And when they came out of my mouth, I slammed the phone down and then I shook and cried and curled up in a fetal position under my desk. Why? Because the last thing I want to do is hurt somebody, judge somebody. And it freaked me out. But it was so powerful that it snapped him and ripped blindness off of him and brought him home. I called an administrator that was in the office that heard me talking on their way home and watched. This was a good thing. I called her and said, listen, were you in there when I was on the phone? Yes, I heard you. I said, oh my gosh, I, you came on my mind and I thought, I didn't want you hurt. I know you've never heard me talk like that. Dear, I've never talked like that to anyone. I didn't even know what was going on. And I can tell, she said, no, no, I was shook up at first. I thought, man, something's really intense. And then I started to listen to your words. And I thought, wow, watch, this must be serious. Knowing Dan's heart and knowing Dan's integrity and knowing his love. If he's talking like that to someone, this is serious. And she said, so I just left praying. But isn't it neat to have a reputation and have a character developed in people's conscience? So that when she heard me talking like that, she didn't just fall apart and think I've over the edge. Oh, now Dan's backslid and lost it. The guy preaching loves and far from love. See, it wasn't like that. I, it came out of me. I didn't even preconceive the scriptures. I literally got overtaken by the Spirit of God and quoted about five scriptures in a row of this kind of stuff on the phone. 
and said something phrase that I normally would never even think of saying. I don't even remember how to quote it. I don't remember what to say. I just remember when I said everything, it all bothered me in my soul. And I slammed the phone and hung up on the person. Well, I've never hung up on anybody before I was saved. And now I'm preaching love and I'm yelling at a guy and hanging up on him. But was I yelling at him and hanging up on him, see? That's what it could sound like. But a lady in the room knew my heart and integrity, knew my love. And she realized there's something serious going on and realized that that was God trying to rescue a soul. And sometimes the Bible says that you need to discern the difference. We need to discern the difference. Some, I think that's in Jude. Yeah, the end of Jude. We need to discern the difference. We need to snatch some out of the fire and with some we save with mercy. We save some with mercy and some we snatch out of the fire. But we need to know the difference. So we've got to be careful we don't mush love to where love is just, hey, sweetie. I get, you see how passionate I get. It doesn't mean that I'm frustrated. It doesn't mean that I'm mad. My heart motive will determine the grace on the conversations. My heart motive will determine the grace on the people I talk to. God's with the heart motive. He's in it. You see what I'm saying? So if you just lash out at this young lady because she's just not listening and you're just tired that she just doesn't listen and you're just never going to listen and it's about time you listen. And why don't you just, I thought you loved God. You need, if you love God, you'd listen. And then you walk away and say, I'm just loving her. No, you're frustrated and you're talking because she didn't listen to you. Now you're frustrated and there's no grace there to impart anything from God into her heart. There's just something that could go here if God's not merciful and it's not good. So when we correct our children, please don't correct your children because you're frustrated and mad. And if you have, just ask God for mercy over your household and your family. Don't get all caught up and condemned when I talk like this and say, oh my God, I've done that a lot. No wonder they're the way they are. It's my fault. Stop that. No, if you see that, go, oh my God, I've done that. And that makes sense because that's not a love thing. Now it's a frustrated thing. And it's more of control and the authority of the parent. I've set my kids straight and... No, I love them. They're more than that. Oh, God, thank you for covering my words, protecting their heart, causing me to just begin to minister truth and love in a brand new, fresh way. Thank you for your mercy on my home. You see what I mean? See, because if not, we we get so, the devil is so trying to condemn, trying to condemn, trying to condemn that we can't even talk about these topics and get real because people will fall apart. I was on eggshells a little yesterday and I actually listened and when I brought up the whole coffee thing because I know, I know how we tend to hear. Shane very graciously protecting the atmosphere and it was, it was fine that he did that. It, but, but do you see what I'm saying? You mentioned something like that and, and people hear in condemnation even if you're speaking just simple truth. So we're not saying at all it's wrong to drink coffee. We're saying if you know in your heart that you're depending on it, man, don't gray yourself out and don't ignore it and don't deny it. Just beginning your relationship to God. Get your conscience free in those areas. That's all we're saying. But we're so fragile that we can't even talk about stuff sometimes. But now I feel so bad. No, that's not why we're talking about these things. We can't be so fragile. We're supposed to be surrendered. Bless you. We love you. Okay. Second, second. Peter, I've watched people. You have to understand that I have 
a bunch of years of leadership and pastoring under my belt in the sense that I've been involved with people a lot. And here's what I've seen people do to themselves. They cry out for more of God, but they're living with things that tweak them here. It grays them out, and they don't feel like they can even approach Him with an unveiled face, but they're crying out for more God reality. And they got three things going that God's trying to love them through and get them past so their conscience can walk into His presence. Well, that's a loving, nurturing father. That sure beats, what do you mean you want to come to me? Well, then knock this off and get that out of your life. And when you get clean from that, then come see me. That is not what God does ever. And that is not what we're teaching. But that's somehow some way that we tend to hear because we've been treated that way by others. God is so loving and merciful. The reason I was... I was away from the Lord. I was lost. I, I said I was a Christian, and I would have told you I was a Christian. I honestly believe I was totally lost. And if Jesus would have come back, <laughs> he wouldn't have seen me at the party. I, I was in a bad place. And, and I actually knew it. See, that's why it was so bad, because I knew it. And every day I pushed away his voice and said, whatever. Every day I'd be at work talking so filthy. And his voice would say, why do you have to talk that way? That is so not you. And I'd be like, whatever. And I pushed against it and pushed. What was that voice? Was that nagging? Was that God nagging me? That was his goodness. That was his love that never fails. If he'd have cut off that voice, I'd have had the ability to walk off into darkness and never look back. He just... And it agitated me so bad. I told the story when I was 19. I slammed my Bible against the wall. I yelled at it like it was somebody I hated. The Bible. You make me sick. You make me so mad. I'm in my bedroom screaming like a maniac. Out loud. Me and the Bible. Because I'm a 19 year old full of flame and desire and passion and flesh. And I have the truth inside of me my whole life going. I'm going no. Screamed at it like a maniac. I wish I didn't even know what you said. This is what I said. You never let me do what I want to do. You're always in my face. You're always in my face. That's what I was doing screaming at my Bible and I threw it across the bedroom into the wall and I went out and found a friend that had a whole bottle of vodka and just drank it like I'm going to change anything (laughs) yay for me I taught God a lesson get off my back (laughs) but do you see the war that's going on is that judgment is that condemnation That's God holding on to me. And I have the most obstinate, willful heart at the time. But I'm not a Herod. I'm misinformed. I'm young. I'm deceived. I didn't have family. God knows everything about all that. I'm not a Herod. I'm not that sorcerer. Do you get it? And all he kept doing in my darkest moments. I'm telling you not one day. In 13 years went by that I didn't think about where my life was and wasn't. Not one day. When I talked to people that were living backslidden and knew they were backslidden, they constantly were face to face with that constantly. And what you do is you try to run into darkness all the more and have more fun and whoop up the flesh more to try to get that off your mind. But it's, it's there always. And the deeper in you go, the more it goes bloop, bloop, bloop. Why? Because he never stops loving us. 
But that's not a Herod. That's not, that's, not, that's not what he's talking about right here. Look what he's talking about right here. He's talking about their spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Now see, that's not for you. I, I'm not telling you to figure out who they are. God knows who they are. You see what I mean? Now, certainly if they're teaching false and weird stuff, that gets pretty obvious. But, but still, even if somebody's teaching a wrong doctrine, don't mark them with this. Don't say, well, they must be, that must be who these people are. I've had a lot of encounters. I don't know if you realize how involved I've been with situations and people. I was aware of a pastor of a church who had a spirit upon him and was willingly knew it. He knew it was a lustful spirit and slept with almost all the ladies in the church. It was absolutely bizarre. Married ones and everybody. Teenage girls, young girls, 20-year-old girls. He'd get around him, he'd counsel with them, and this thing would come and play on every weakness, vulnerability. And I talked to a couple of the women because I had to get this thing. So then I confronted it and talked to him like this, knowingly. See, I've been involved in some stuff that I don't talk about. It's called love. And the one lady cried and said, I'm so afraid for my daughter. She didn't get to her. He didn't get to her yet, but he will. I said, you're kidding me. No, she said, he'd come to my house and I can't even explain it. Something would come over and it was like I had to. And all these other women and I checked in with, it was unbelievable. Pastor of a church. So I got in the middle. Why? For the sake of the whole. I said, what are you doing? Is it true in defense? And listen, I'm not accusing you without a whole bunch of witnesses. And then it became very evident in my spirit that there's, it was bad. So it wasn't judgment. It was a call to repentance. What are you doing? How long can you walk against the way of righteousness? Pervert, if you cause one of these little ones, just the least of these to stumble, it'd be better that you hadn't been born or have a millstone tied around your neck and cast into the sea. That's heavy language. That's God's love talking. Because people get hurt in unrighteousness. And it carries a weighty price. God's love, it's actually judgment is God's love in that light. For the sake of the whole and the sheep. You follow me? There's stuff out there going on. That was demonic. It was spiritual. You talk to a young girl, this guy older than me. Now, older than me now. This was 10 years ago. But this guy was in his 50s then. You know, counseling with young women, like these precious fair girls, and it was this weird thing. It was demonic. Not saying, I'm not saying, see, it was demonic. And person after person carousing, he'd take advantage of vulnerabilities. Let's look at this. They feast with you, having their eyes full of 
adultery. That means while they're in the middle of feasting, they have intention and thoughts and fantasies and schemes and dreams. It's a twisted place. <laughs> so these judgment things aren't, has nothing to do with the covenant children of God. Herod has nothing to do, the sorcerer, this person Peter's talking about, has nothing to do with the new covenant through his blood and healing being our bread. Totally different. So don't confuse it. And these questions are directly relating these things, saying, I'm confused. Guys that ask this question, you can't be confused. It's a totally different scenario. Watch this. Watch this. Adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covenant practices. Watch this. And are cursed children. It's almost like he's saying they've crossed a the line. They've done, you can't explain it, but it's in your Bible. It's like they have set themselves on themselves. And they've crossed a the line. At the cost of human life and souls and people. Ugh. I promote restoration. I promote repentance. I promote reconciliation. That's what the gospel promotes. That's where we need to live from. God knows this other stuff. We're not judging Herod. God's the one that struck him. We should be praying for a Herod. I believe. And I know it doesn't say that in John. And that's the part I told you I don't understand. And we'll read it in a minute. But watch this. They have a trained heart and covenant practices. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam. The son of Bor. See, God knows who's saved. This question, can you lose your salvation? Once saved, always saved. Can you lose your salvation because of disobedience and all that stuff? God knows who's saved. You need to know you're saved. My spirit bears witness and the spirit of God bears witness with my spirit. I'm saved. But these people are in our love feasts. <laughs> That's what the Bible says. Doesn't sound like they're going to be at the party. That's not to get you confused and weird. It means you stay sober, you believe the best about all men, and you live for Jesus. You go after God. It's simple. Hey, I was Creflo Dollar 15 years ago. I was a year old in the Lord. gave me some CDs, and I'll never forget it. It was Creflo Dollar, and he was preaching on unforgiveness. He preached Matthew 18, 15. And you talk about a pastor... Whoever listens to Creflo Dollar, you talk about a pastor that was showing emotion, and you think I get passionate. He come off that platform, and he talked about the evil and wicked servant that wouldn't forgive the, the, the fellow servant, and the master forgave him of everything. And he come off that pulpit like, and he has a big congregation. He said, how dare you be forgiven of everything you've ever done, and hold your brother accountable. How dare you? I mean, he was, I was like, no, I ain't. I'm not. See, I can hear somebody talk to me like that. I am not going to be so thin-skinned that, well, I hear what you're saying, brother, but I don't like the way you're saying it. No, I want to hear what you're saying. Well, it didn't sound like love. Wonder if it was the heart cry of love saying, What are you doing? This is so clear. Sometimes we just need, right? <gasps> Whoever had God speak, <gasps> right? Man, he preached that, but here's what he said. He said, I'm convinced, because he was talking about all this. 
And he said, get off of all this. Who's going to heaven and who's not? You just live. You go after heaven. You live for God. And you just believe the best about everybody around you. And you love people. And he said, but I'm sure there's going to be three things that happen when we all get to heaven. He said, I'm sure. this." He said, I don't know what heaven's going to be like to see him as he is. I don't, but I know I'm thinking there's three things. He said, you're going to get there and look around and you ain't going to see folks that you just knew were going to be there. And then you ain't going to, then you're going to see some folks that you just knew weren't going to be there. And then you're going to go, whoa, I'm here <laughs> and rejoice. And I thought it was cute. I thought, because only God knows the hearts of men. But watch this. And so do you know yours. What a gift. Come on. So why would I be? I know my life. I know my heart. I know you do too. So he's not talking about you here. But look what he says. They've forsaken the right way. They love the wages of unrighteousness. But he has rebuked, but he was rebuked, this Balaam, the prophet, he was rebuked for his iniquity and a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest. Watch this, because there's no change. For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. I can see the love of God in that. That's the love of God to me. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust. Let's just keep reading this. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. This is serious. These are people drawing people away that have escaped it. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he's brought into bondage. Listen to this language. See, this is stuff we don't like to read. And the only reason we don't like to read is because we don't understand God and the nature of God. And some of us aren't sure about our own lives because we keep believing the devil when he says that we're condemned. I read this stuff. This, honestly, I read this kind of stuff a lot. I told you that the other day. These kind of scriptures. I actually read them a lot. It's why I preach the stuff I preach. Who hears me preach? You're not saved to go to heaven. You're saved for a transformed life. The greatest call of God is your nature's transformed. Why? Because if I'm preaching all that, that's coming to pass. You're never in this category. So I'm not coming to you saying, you got this and you got that and you make sure you're not this. No, I'm preaching the good news. But you know that I'm preaching a whole lot more than God's here to bless you. I'm saying, man, lay down your life. Deny yourself. You're the former against him. Who hears me preach like that all the time? Constantly. Real sober. Real straight. No nonsense. And you're enlisted in the army. Don't entangle yourself with the affairs of life. Bam, 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 bam. I preach that way constantly. Why? I read a lot of these scriptures. <laughs> and I read them from time to time. Just to stay fresh on stuff. But watch this. For after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... They are again entangled in them and overcome. And the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Well, that one scripture right there settles the whole big question. Can you lose your salvation? And can you 
get disobedient and da da da. He's talking about walking away from God and setting yourself against righteousness. He's not talking about backsliding and coming home to Jesus. He's talking about setting your heart against God. And actually, the whole backsliding thing is very scary to me. I've used this with young people already and, and, and older, but mainly young people. I've met a lot of young people that are hungry for God and then I see them go into this spiritual siesta. And next thing you know, they have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they're sleeping with them and they're saying, well, but God knows our hearts, but well, but... And I'm like, whoa, 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 stop. I knew one, one person was with an unsaved person and now they're sleeping together. So I asked this person, they cried and cried and cried, bitter tears. But wouldn't let go of the weakness of their flesh. But here's, here's my question I ask them. I said, what, do you think this thing's reduced down to praying a prayer? So you prayed a prayer to go to heaven and they didn't. So Jesus blows this thing. God blows the trumpet and wraps this thing up. And instead of ministering Christ to this person, you're in bed with them, fornicating. Instead of standing to be an example and shining light, you're empowering their weakness, trumping the gospel, and engaging the flesh. And God blows the trumpet and Jesus comes back with all these saints and they come back. And So what's God going to do? Say, well, you come with me. You prayed the prayer. You're staying here because you didn't. That's pretty weird. It says you who know to do the will of God and doesn't. You're beaten with more stripes. The one that doesn't know and doesn't do is beaten with few. The person that knows the truth it's in a much serious more situation because they're called to minister truth to that person, not empower the lie. Right. Come on, it's just serious to talk about. It says there's a, there's, a, there's a servant who he's waiting on his master and he says, well, this thing ain't wrapped up yet. He ain't coming for a while. And that servant begins to eat and drink and beat his fellow servants. That means backbite, bash, talk bad against. And he says that, that master will come on a night he's not expecting. Watch what he says. It's in Luke. He'll cut him in two and give him his portion among the unbelievers. He says, you're either for me or you're against me. You gather to me or you're scattered. This thing's about transformation. It's about walking in the light as he's in the light. We'd have a richer fellowship if we just walk in the light as he's in the light because if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We're not hiding things and hiding from one another. And even in our little clique groups, we just have fellowship. We're open-faced. We're unveiled. There's nothing to hide. There's a lot of language like this in the Bible. It's to live sober and upright and give no place to the devil. Do you understand he's the devil? Do you understand there's no agreement between God and the devil? And you're called to be the children of God. So it's powerful. For after they've escaped, he's talking about people that had the knowledge of the Lord and the Savior, Jesus Christ, and they're again entangled. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it and turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. For it happens to them according to a true proverb, the dog returns to his vomit and the sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. It's amazing, isn't it? There's a scripture that talks about men creeping into the households of women that are unstable, always learning, but never coming to knowledge of truth, loaded down by sins and taking advantage of their vulnerability. Saying woe to that man. It's heavy stuff. 
Let's go to. Uh, let's go to First uh, John. Uh, yeah, let's go to First John five quick. You guys all right? <laughs> you didn't expect this topic or what? You guys are quiet. You all all right? Is it making it clear? Good. It's making things clear. See. I so fix, I don't know if you realize how much I fix on the answer when I preach the gospel. I could preach all these scriptures to help you understand why I feel, but I never feel, because Todd and I were just talking. He said, dude, there are serious scriptures in the Bible. And we're laying in the hotel beds, and he's reading all these scriptures. I said, I read them all the time. That's why I preach what I preach. He said, why aren't, why aren't you preaching those scriptures? I said, I don't feel like God wants me to right now. I, I feel like he just wants me to preach the answer and the good news in this topic. And, and, and throw a couple of thoughts out there now and then. The goodness of God is what leads men to repentance. If I preach all these scriptures in a service, because of condemnation, I could have the whole altar filled and we'll call it a move of God. I could preach on everything we're missing and lacking and aren't doing and aren't surrendered in and I could preach all those scriptures like a command sergeant. And I could say, now you need to get right. Whoever's here and this thing's speaking to you, you need to get right, get up here. And, and if we were honest, the whole church at that point then would go. But we'd fail to receive grace and understand people have condemnation. It's, it, and we call it a move of God. And you could actually preach like that constantly and have the altars packed. No, let's preach that we're growing up into him. And just because you have a, a bad thought or just because you had a moment of selfishness doesn't mean you're one of these people. When your heart says whatever then I'd, I'd take it really serious. But when you realize what it is and go, oh God, look, you're not in the school because you fit in any of these categories. Just the fact that you're in this school says a whole lot about hunger and heart. Do you see what I'm saying? So sometimes we read this stuff and we say, oh my God, I see some of that in my life. Well, when you see that in your life, you say, God, you didn't create me for that. And my heart cares, and I don't ever want... And let your strength come and swallow up this. God, thank you. Right? That sure beats reading it and going, Oh my God, I wonder if I'm saved. That's what people do. Do you know how many people... I couldn't possibly recount the people that called me on the phone, talked to me, and at some point in the conversation said, Well, sometimes I wonder if I'm even saved. That's why we do this school. There's people that have been in church years and they're still sometimes wondering if I'm not saved. If I'm saved. Or they'll get into a blunder or they'll do a weakness thing and then that's their response. Well, I wonder if I'm even saved. Well, that's just condemnation and frustration and just judging yourself. And the fact that you care means a whole lot. Look, I'd be way more concerned if you were doing that and just... What, brother? Hey, no, everything's fine. Then I'd be way more concerned. I'd pull you in the carpet. <laughs> Do you follow what I'm saying? That's First John. I don't totally understand this. Pastor Don's here. If he can help me with this and has any insight, that would be awesome. But I'm being very honest. This is one I've never understood. Todd and I talked about it a long time because he was asking me. And I said, I totally don't understand. I've taken a position on it. That unless, well, let me read it. And, well, I always shared it. Unless Paul, remember how Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently and went bam? Okay. Unless I get a strong impression, I would never like that time on the phone with that brother I shared. It was only one time in my life I had that encounter. So that's pretty rare as much as I minister. 
You guys realize what I'm saying? As much as I minister, do you know it's daily? A couple times a day? <laughs> a whole lot of times a day. Daily. And there's one time in 16 years that I reacted that way because of the situation, right? But I've never seen anyone ever in all my Christianity, I've never marked anybody in my own heart under this category of what I'm about to read, ever. So I'm very puzzled by this, but yet it has to mean something. Like I've never locked in on a Herod. And I don't want to. I want to pray and ask God for mercy and ask God for change. Come on, I heard a testimony of a witch doctor that got raised from the dead dying cursing God. That's mercy. The sun saved a month, rocked him for six hours. Holy Spirit come. Life come. Holy Spirit come. And six hours later, he raises from the dead with a vision of Jesus. Jesus walked up to him in the realm of the dead and said, my name's Jesus, I love you. And for 25, 30 years, he killed Christians, persecuted the church, and sounded like a Herod. And when he died, he died on his lips, cursing God. And the son wouldn't let go of mercy. And the man raised from the dead, born again. From the dead, Jesus is Lord. When I hear a story like that, then I don't totally understand the Herod, but who knows God's not presumptuous. Who knows that God didn't give up on Herod? Who knows that God knows everything about people? It's amazing. So this witch doctor's done all this damage and hurt so many people. He's killed a lot of major people in the church leaders and stuff and caused great harm. And, and the missionary said he was, to his opinion, the most powerful man in the Western Hemisphere, witchcraft-wise. And caused lots of harm. And yet Jesus walks up to him through the son's prayers in a bright light. And the man, never read the Bible, defined Revelations 1, Jesus. Because when the missionary said, Who, what happened? He said, uh, I was laying and a, a light came. It was so bright. He said, it was brighter than the sun. And I looked to see a man standing. His hair was like the wool of a lamb. He said, his eyes were burning like a fire. He said, you know, when he spoke, he sounded, his voice sounded like our rivers when they're flooded and the big rocks roll down the mountains. Man has, he can't even read. He has never read the Bible. And he defines Revelations 1.14, Jesus. He says, his feet, you know, his feet were bright and looked like they were uh, orange and burning like our coals in the dobe ovens. And he looked at me and said, my name is Jesus. I love you. The man that killed all those people. The man that died cursing him. I love you. And he rose from the dead. When I hear a story like that, I don't ever want to let go of nobody. But yet there's Herod and there's people Peter's talking about. And here's John making a comment. I don't understand it. But God knows. 1 John 5, 16. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which doesn't lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit a sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. 
It has to do with the apostate, obstinate, son of the devil, way against righteousness heart. But I don't ever want to determine that would be somebody's heart. So it's a scary place for me. So he says, I don't say that you should pray about that. So I'm not sure what he means. And I'm just going to take a risk until Jesus gives me understanding. I'm going to pray for all men. And I'm going to believe everybody can change. Do you understand what I'm saying? Until I get a better revelation of that scripture. And it might just be a rare thing where you just know by divine knowing. But when we start choosing who those people are, we're going to make big mistakes. God knows. That's God's the just judge. You follow what I'm saying? So look what he's saying. If we see a brother sinning, we ought to care about that, right? And we we ought to ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin. So you can go into the presence of God, intercede, and you can pray for people, and grace can stay over their life even when they're living out of order. Because of your heart, your love, and your prayers, it's the same as Jesus interceding, mediating through his blood. You and your high priest role are pleading on behalf of others and believing their sins being forgiven. They still have to repent. They still have to come clean in their own respect. But who knows, grace can cover them because you remitting sin, you love them, you're speaking life. Now, if I determine they'll never change, I won't pray that way. You see what I'm saying? So I always pray that way. The best I understand. So I don't totally understand that scripture. But he's actually saying. There's people here. That God knows won't change. And their sins leading to death. Does this make sense? I just don't want to know who they are. (laughs) I just have a question. um, Because I work. Oh we got her up and running now. Okay. Um, where I work, I have girls that actually go to like a Catholic school. And the one day I was sitting there, and I remember New Life, our classes, and the one girl sitting there, and she's doing the Beatitudes, right? And then next thing you know, it's like she's getting ready to leave work, and she smokes, and she drinks, and she does all this stuff. And I just looked at her and said, you know, can I ask you a question? She's like, yeah. I said, you go to school for all this, and I'm, I'm looking at your homework and what you're studying for your test, and you're going to walk out the door and just do the total opposite of what you're learning. And she's like, oh, Lynn, I'm just a kid. This is what we do. And I just looked at her, and I said, do you really think that's what you do? And she goes, oh, Linda, just stop it. I'm like, okay, you know what will happen sooner or later. You'll, you know. She's like, Linda. And she knows that I know that she's not doing what she should be doing. But, and as soon as she walked out the door, I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, show her something. You right. Know, give her something to, you know, and she just it is getting worse, actually. Right. Well, what happens is, and we talked about this, you get a sense of knowing she's putting truth in her and living contrary, and it, it, there's a reverb here in the conscience and the soul, and it grays you out. It's like, zzz, and then it triggers the voice called God's love that says, hey, hey, Hello, whoa, no, 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 whoa, right? And then we're trying to ignore that that's there and suppress truth and and talk plain language like, well, everybody's doing it. Well, I'm just a kid. Well, you know, God knows my heart. I've heard that one. No, God knows your life. (laughs) Your life is your heart. (laughs) So I realize the time. This one real quick. I'm going to cover this one real quick. This is part of the same question. Oh, no, never mind. Let's take a break.
timely matter because I want to cover a couple more topics that are really important in the last days. It'll work. Jesus loves me. Yes. Jesus loves me. Now I know. I already knew, didn't I? Oh, that's right. The mic working isn't the measuring stick of God's love for me. It's Christ crucified. I knew that. I'm teasing you. Revelations 2. It's pretty heavy language. Pretty heavy language. And this fellow wrote a question in here, David, and I want to answer it here. And just It's the same thing we've been answering. It's probably already answered. He's calling people to repentance. He's, and uh, Martha, this should be a clear answer for our discussion. And I know I talked real strong to you, but it's, and it's, 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 it's good in this sense. For this reason, I want you to hear what's happening. See, there's, there's a thought sometimes about, well, God was. There's people out there that believe uh, the people that are saved is because God wants them saved. And the people that aren't saved, God didn't want them saved. He called some to be saved and some not to be. God knows who they are, and that was all determined before time. No, God knows how men handle the gospel. He knows what you'll do with Christ before time ever was. He knows the hearts of men. He knows how you'll handle life's decisions and all that stuff. If it wasn't true, if that was true, why would John rise up and tell us to repent and change the way we think because Christ is coming? He constantly gives man the ability to change and repent. He constantly gives man the ability to agree with him and run with him. He, why would John call us to repent? Why would Jesus come to the churches and, 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 and actually say this, he affirms in some churches and then he says straight out. And see, we think this isn't love and we're afraid. We, we can't make this love thing that we're preaching a, a mushy thing. It's not a mushy thing. It's, it's full of truth. And, and, and because we're with him and we're in him and we've known his nature and we see his love, he can talk to me plainly. You see what I mean? So he comes and he says this to churches. He says, but I have this against you. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. But I have this against you. See, if we don't afford him the ability to talk to us like this, how's he ever going to father us? And how can we, I, you know, I had this, this person, I told you, the other day, she, you know, this person, well, I always said she, came to me and, and said, you don't ever have to point out what needs to change in people. You just need to speak the truth and the truth will take care of the rest. And I said, well, that sounds spiritual. And if you preach that, everybody will go, Amen. But there's no application. How can you correct somebody? The word is useful for correction. How can I possibly correct you if we don't talk about what's of concern? And I need to be humble enough and open-hearted enough and mature enough in Christ and not be so touchy that we can talk plain. I said this earlier. You don't understand. See, I teach and preach a lot and a minister and counsel and a pastor. And, and, and there are some people that are so fragile in their makeup that you have to kick gloves. You have to understand kick gloves or they're shattered because they're like, you're mad at me. And then they, and there's stuff you have to work through and get them in a place where they... And it's, it's a serious... But here's Jesus coming saying, I have this against you. Well, that would just shatter me if I didn't understand the nature of God. Oh my God, he has something against me. I thought he loved me and my sins were forgiven. No, he's trying to pull him into agreement with truth to get him to run and co-labor with him. Yes. 
He says, if you're either for me or you're against me. That could mean that there's a deception in your life and there's something you don't understand. See, we hear that so condemning. Well, I could go to church, be sincere, serve in a ministry, and not believe things the way they are and be counterproductive to God's purposes the whole time I'm functioning. Are you following me? So all he's trying to do is father us and bring us into a place of truth so we can walk together in agreement. A house divided can't stand. And look what has happened to the church and all the denominations and buildings because really, let's be honest, I'm not bashing because in a lot of, lot of cases, I know places are called and God's with it, but in a lot of cases, it's, it's been obvious that disagreement, well, we can't get along, well, God started to work here. There, there was a time I was laying on my bed and I was saying to the Lord, you know, all the time about, and I used to hear this a lot. People say, when are you going to start a church? I was a pastor, associate at a church, and, and people would call me and, and behind the scenes say, when are you going to start a church? Man, we love your heart. I think you ought to be on your own. You ought to be a senior pastor. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be a pastor. But people and their heart and their love for me, it happened profusely in my life. I had a lady leave the church because I corrected her so strong about it. And she left it. She called me behind the scenes. I said, honey, you're being divisive. You're out of order. And you got to stop. Because she said, you need to be a pastor. And da, 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 da. And she was comparing stuff. And I just stopped her cold. Bam. Because if, if you're not seeking after God, you start believing that stuff. You start feeling like somebody. You start thinking, I walk in more love. I'm a little more anointed. I probably have a calling. And then you let people promote you. You don't need promoted. You just want to be his. So, bam. And, and, but I'm laying on my bed one day, and I had concerns in my heart. I was struggling with some things within church and leadership and stuff and where my life was. And this was years ago. And, and I used to always say in my heart, I, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm never going to pastor a church. It's not even what I'm called to do. It's not, and I used to tell people, no, I'm not called to pastor a church. Well, we think you're a pastor. You're called to pastor a church. We just, well, no. It's because people found, they, it, we church shop. And we try to find a place we like instead of where do you want me, God? <laughs> See, if we're really His, we say, where do you want me? And you'd be amazed He might put you in a place where you're challenged and tried and have to bear with people and be formed in love. And <laughs> but we church shop. We preference we, we write our list of preferences and we go feel out the atmosphere and see if we feel at home. So I'm laying on my bed. Watch how important it is to keep your heart pure and how Satan tries to look for opportune times. And he believes you're vulnerable. So I got concerns. I've talked to a couple leaders. I've expressed my heart. So it's out in the open. The spiritual world knows it. People know some certain things that are close to me. And it wasn't gossip. I'm talking to people directly involved. That's who I was talking to. And I'm laying on my bed one morning and I'm praying and I'm talking to the Lord. And it's so, you know how Satan can come like an angel light? And it's amazing how he'll speak the word. I got this little impression and I heard about going to Samuel and I thought, what is there in Samuel? I, I turned, it's David in the cave and it's all these unsettled people. And it's him starting a mighty armor through all these misfit, kind of misplaced people. And I'm reading this and this impression came over me 
And I saw this sign, tired of religion, tired of this, tired of that, uh, anyone broken, anyone this, any, and I started to find these people, come and be an army. And saw this church called like David's army. And I saw all these people from the city coming to the church because they're hurt, offended, disappointed with leaders. Not because God's calling them. Because they're looking for a place that pleases them. That's just no challenges, no... And I'm feeling like this is God. And it's like, and I'm like, started to cry. And I'm like, God, I didn't, I didn't, I never would know. And it was like, I want you to build this church. I heard it. I want you to build this church. And I, but see, that's why it's so important to father me. Father me, Lord. Keep me on. Fill your heart with a word because you want to discern the stranger's voice. And all of a sudden, guess what happened? Something strange sounded about it. I thought, wait a minute. If I would start this church, that would be projection and pride. If I would advertise a church like this, then I'm actually saying everybody else is out of the will of God. It makes me an elite. It actually separates me. It's so the devil. I stood up and worshiped God and thanked Him for wisdom and threw that thing a million miles out of my head. You follow me? Because of the nature behind the thing. Didn't have the pink fingerprints of Papa. <laughs> you get it? It was a snake. But it sure had an appearance of something that we could run with. And guess what? Honestly, tons of people would have flocked to it. It would have blew up and grew up real big, real quick. I promise you it would. I know that in my heart. But the motive we were all there, when they'd been seeking God, it would have been projecting on the body of Christ. And there would have been a spirit of arrogance and pride and spiritual twisted stuff. Especially because it would have been at the root. The pastor. See how twisted the devil is? <laughs> There's a lot of churches that started that way. I've met pastors and talked to pastors about their roots and how they started. And they talk and then I'd ask, well... Listen, I was asking to go to the mission field one time, crying out, and God said, the only reason you're crying out and have the desire to go to the mission field because you're discouraged with the American people. And you don't believe they want righteousness. You believe they're selfish and proud and self-seeking, so you want to go where they're hungry. Well, my son laid down his life for people who despised and rejected him. Get your heart in agreement with my son and we'll talk. And I'm laying on the floor bawling toast because I realize without God... I pale in wisdom and understanding. Without God, I'd be lost in a day. And I honor and love Him and respect Him so much because He keeps me. Because here I am crying out to you would have sounded like a noble, diligent, surrendered spiritual prayer. Wow, this guy's really sold out. And the motive of my heart was frustration with the people I was pastoring because I didn't feel like they really wanted God. Just blessing. <laughs> Isn't that awesome that God will expose that stuff? But if you're not seeking him, guys, in relationship, you don't get to get that discernment. That's how I believe people make the mistakes they make because they have zeal without knowledge. They have a motivation, but the motivation isn't the Lord. It's feelings, emotions, and natural wisdom. And then the lack of fellowship and communion with God, you're just praying, praying for him to bless your endeavor and praying for him to fuel and bless ministry, but never really communing with him as a father to know you're on the right course. 
And your motivation is actually sometimes hurt, pain, letdown, failure, or wrong believing. I don't know how I got on that, but I hope that's helpful. Come on, this is serious. People get zeal to start up their ministry. And you're, you're running a thin line of letting your ministry become who you are instead of who you are causing ministry. Is this serious? Okay, let's go to this thing because this, this is another one of those Herod and all them. Ananias and Sapphira, it's hard for me to really comment on uh, too deeply other than I personally believe. I'm just sharing my personal belief. Uh, I believe that there is such a conviction and an atmosphere of God's holiness and glory. The people were in awe and reverence and fear of God. They're so compelled, guys. They're selling everything that's theirs so all can have in common. This thing is family. This thing is happening in the book of Acts. And right in the middle, they're, they're, they're lying. It had to do with lying to Holy Spirit. It had to do with, there's, it, has, it goes back to that thing about the heart that we were talking about. And we just need to settle on, on that one right there. That's the most hardest one to explain. It seems harsh if you read it. Herod, I understand clearly. The proconsul, the sorcerer guy, that wasn't even, that was mercy. That wasn't even judgment. I see that as mercy. You'll be blind for a time. What a wake-up call. But he's not talking about Christians there. Okay? So the Ananias and Sapphira one, uh, man, it's just sober and humble. If you really read it, knowing the nature of God, knowing the love of God through Christ and what we understand, we have to realize there's more going on in the heart and behind the scene than we can put into words. And here's the trap. We have to know everything and understand and calculate everything. We're, We're sometimes so trapped here. I really pray that we could live more out of here. There's there's times that I can read the Bible just knowing the nature and heart of God through Christ and just knowing His goodness helps me to see without getting real nitpicky, detail-y, analytical. It's not usually a good place. You can look hard enough and find concerns or you can look with your heart and just know. You see what I mean? Like two people can get together and talk on a topic about something and be concerned. And it's just them two and they're both concerned and they talk about a person, a ministry, a topic of the Bible. And the more you talk from the place of concern, the more your list grows of why you're right. And now you're so sure. And now it's like you have a revelation, but you're just talking amidst your own two concerns. And there's nothing there to bounce off of. It's just you feeding one another. I've seen two people talk about a person long enough where they're sure they got the person pegged, but they've never talked to the person. But they got 10 things evolved now about the person in their conversation. Yeah, you know, well, when they say that, that is probably why. I noticed they do that too. Well, that's probably why they look that way. Because, yeah, now this is all making sense. And the more you do that and analytically go and process here, the more you come up with what you think is truth. It's just scary. Man, I don't want to live that way. Please don't want to live that way. (laughs) See, I know what I'm talking about because I've pastored. It's the one side thing. So we're used to going to Jesse with a situation and you share it. And then you go to the person that he's talking about. And it's like there's two different worlds. It's like you're not even talking about the same situation. Did you ever run into that? Where you got a person in a party saying this and a person in a party saying this or they come to you one-sided. See, there's a grace when you're pastoring that you never believe a story to judge another person. 
Like a wife could come to me and just pour out her heart and go bam, bam, bam. When I talk to the husband, nothing she said is dictating and influencing the way I see the husband. There's a grace for that. Or I'm going to just take her word and now I already have the husband judged because of her tears. But I've found countless times when I talk to the husband, he's like, man, she said that? Oh my gosh. I can't, you don't understand, Dan. And then he has a whole story. And that's why that stuff doesn't work. So when we get together like that, especially if two people are hurting, that's a bad scenario. Two people together hurting. Two people with a concern about somebody. And they just get talking. Because the longer you talk and the more you talk apart from heart of God, Jesus, prayer, mercy, the more you'll affirm your concerns. It's a scary place. I don't know why I got on that, but it feels important. It feels like we just need to hear that. So that has nothing to do with what we're reading here. That was just a side thought. They just kind of went into that. But you're following what I'm saying? That's why you want parties involved. That's why you want... Look, I can't talk to Anthony and Jenny about Anthony and Jenny just to Anthony or just to Jenny. Oh, I can hear her heart and I can minister to her for her. If any of you counsel with me concerning marriages or relationships, you'll know that I won't even talk about the person you're with. I'll talk to your heart and your place and your response in Christ, period. Anybody that's ever talked to me knows that's exactly what I'll do. I won't say, they said what? He said what, honey? You're kidding me. He did that? Well, he should know better. Well, if he was, yeah, well, no way. See, that's what we do in our conversations apart from maturity, wisdom, and grace. Not all of us should be in a position of counsel. And I'm not saying that proudly. There's a grace for it. Because if she's talking to me and I'm taking to heart, now I'm already judging him. And when he calls me or I call him, I've already got him pegged because Jenny just spilled the beans. But I find when I talk to Anthony, I'm just, this isn't a real thing. And I talk to Anthony, all of a sudden I find out that it isn't in his eyes anything to do. In fact, it's a whole nother. And he can explain every reason she said that and why. And she's been this and she really concerns me. Da, 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 da. And next thing you know, you, you realize you never take somebody's words to heart about a person. Ever. I had a pastor once in my life, Pastor Jack used to always say, well, I don't know that to be true. How about we just get him on the phone and he would call their number while the person was talking about another person. And I thought that was pretty awesome. That's aggressive. I was there when he did it already. He'd say, well, you know what? I don't know that to be true. He said, have you even talked? Well, let's just get him. That's just fine. Listen, I got Billy here and he's concerned and he's saying... Da, da, da. Why don't we need to talk this out? Let's get on three, whatever. I thought that's pretty good. <laughs> that would keep people from going to leadership. <laughs> hey, you know Jennifer? She, uh, well, let's just call her and see. <laughs> okay, I have a question. Is there a fine line like, okay, Anthony knows this. We just live this out. Um, oh, we have a mic. Yay. Um, question. Okay. Is it healthy? Because this is what I have a tendency to do, for real. This is a lifestyle for me, and Anthony will bear witness to this. Mm. I don't talk to anybody. If, we, if there is something going on, a uh, ministry, a person, whatever, okay, I go straight to God. I don't talk to anybody about it. I withhold everything. As a matter of fact, just recently there was something so significant, God had to give me a dream. And Jen will bear witness to this. I actually had to go to her because he was telling me I need to say something and specifically spoke to her, and out of her wisdom, it, it clarified something for me that needs to be done, okay? But 
without just bringing up the situation. I just, right. I just don't talk to anybody. Yeah. And I, I, I would encourage I everybody to do that. Not you don't have to, you talk to God and 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 ultimately the person if you can't get resolved in your heart with the Lord if it's not just a prayer issue. You, if 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 Kara and I need to talk and I got a concern, what good would it do? to go over here to Mandy and say, you know, I've been really concerned about Kara. That's what we do all the time. But isn't that gossip? It's totally gossip. And you're actually sowing then that into her. There's never a reason I should be talking about her with her without resolve here and talking to her, ever. It happens every day in the body of Christ. And we cover it with spiritual language, like, well, I just wanted you to keep it in prayer. What was really bothering me, and I thought she'd be a good one to bounce this off of. And we said, no, listen, I'm loving, I'm in love, but it's, we do it all the time, and it's camouflaged with language. But it's actually the inability or the unwillingness to just go to the source and love the person uprightly. What can I accomplish possibly by bringing her into a concern that I have for her? It's an absolute zero. And all I've done is multiplied that knowledge now in her and hopefully God willing, God's grace is sufficient for her that it doesn't hurt her in any way and that her view of, see, because as a pastor, I have that constantly. You, ought to, you, can't, you don't even understand probably at the level I'm talking. Like I have to preach knowing a hundred things about a hundred things. But yet I have to preach with a clear conscience and know in my heart I'm not talking to you when I'm preaching. If you would try to do that, it's impossible. Because you'd constantly be stumbling. You'd be looking at a face and go, oh my God, I'm just talking about just what we talked about yesterday. They're right now thinking I'm talking about that and that's why I'm saying this. As a pastor, you're aware of so much that if you didn't have a grace and didn't just have your heart before God and just preach what the Spirit of God saying in your heart, He blinds me to stuff. There's things. I was in a service with a pastor who lost a child and his other child he's believing for healing who had situations and I'm talking about and even if you lost a child and you under, I'm talking about persevering through the adversity and the trials and never losing heart and not being heartbroken and not having a vocabulary that allows you to be discouraged and the pastor and I know him well and we've cried together and talked about his losses and He's sitting right there. And I'm talking and preaching with passion and I'm looking at him and he's just crying. And the whole time, I never had the thought of his situation. I was totally blinded to it. It didn't even hit me till we were going to the hotel and I kind of cried and she got shook because I remembered the strength of my language and the way. But see, if I'm conscious of him as a man, I won't be able to say what I'm hearing. I won't be able to say what God wants to say because I'm not strong enough because I'm concerned that I'm hurting Him and da-da-da. But God's bigger than all that. So He blinds me to the man. And I even looked at Him crying. And, and He's like, oh, He's leaning forward and He's just crying because He's feeding off of it. But if I for a second would have thought, Oh my God, I'm talking about His life. He's my buddy. He's the pastor. No, Oh my God, I must be breaking His heart. No wonder He's crying. Oh my God, I probably, oh, I can't even believe I brought this up with him sitting here. He, I don't even know if he can handle this. See, I can't afford that when I'm preaching. I'd never be able to preach if I had to keep every conversation we all ever had in mind. <laughs> and one of the biggest challenges for people in the congregation is having a relationship with their pastor and sitting there and, and going, oh my God, he's bringing me up. Well, I provoked this sermon. <laughs> Yeah, he's preaching good because I sure motivated him. 
So that's what people do. That season I told you about my wife way back, she didn't want to come to church anymore because she said, because she had a conscience so violated, and she said, well, every time you preach, you're just preaching about me. But it's because she couldn't even read her Bible without thinking that. Do you see what I mean? When you get in a place like that. So all of a sudden, now I'm just preaching about her. Well, I'm helping you preach. And I'm like, whoa, what? When I'm preaching, I'm not thinking of her. I'm just preaching the gospel that's alive in my heart. And that's why we have to be in a place where we can be taught, right? And not thin-skinned and all that. Okay, verse uh, 18. To the angel, he's telling to write all these things. It's red letters. (laughs) These things says the Son of God who has eyes like flame of fire (laughs) his feet like fine brass. Uh, sounds like he's serious. He said, listen, my eyes are like a flame of fire. My feet are fire. There's, he's an introducing, he's announcing himself here pretty cool. And he's not being presumptuous in vain. It's who he is. Look what he says. See, he's not judgmental. He's not presumptuous. I know your works. There's also a question here about works, and I want to address it, because the Bible talks a lot about works. It talks a lot about works all through Faith without works is dead. I have the t-shirt, faith without works is dead. There's, there's, there's a lot of things. You stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Where's that? Second Corinthians, what, like four or something? Stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged by your works, by the things you've done in your body, whether good or bad. You say, well, I didn't think it was works. Well, you're not saved by works, but the fact that you're saved produces works. You know a tree by its fruit. Make a tree good, its fruit will be good. We're not trying to do a lot of works to affirm ourselves. That's why we teach your being in order to do. So out of right being, all you're doing flows. The works follow your right identity, Right? So, so this fellow didn't understand. He was like, I'm struggling to understand the difference between being and doing. When I read verses about works that we ought to be doing it, it makes me feel like there's something I ought to be doing to express my love by doing. Well, the doing is the response. It's the direct result of a right relationship. When I know I'm righteous and when I have a righteous identity, I'm going to walk in a righteous fruit and reality. If I'm trying to do works to qualify my right standing, I'm going to be condemned a lot, feel like I'm not doing enough, be tired, be lacking, and I'll never enter into rest. Because actually, watch the paradox. It's, it's, we ought to have good works for love and good works. What's first? Love, love, and good works, right? I ought to have good works, but watch the paradox. Hebrews 4 says that on the seventh day, God rested from His works, and we also ought to cease from our own works and enter into his rest. But yet we're called to works. Why? From the place of rest. We aren't self-made now. Now grace is working through us. Our hearts are transformed. Love is the compelling compelling factor of our life. Love compels us because if he died, all died. We live because he died. We don't live for ourselves. Him that died. The life I live, I now live by faith in the Son of God. All my works flow out of the power of the finished work of Christ. Do you follow what I'm saying? So don't get struggled by works. It's, we're saved by grace. We're His workmanship created in His image. That's first. Then for good works. Right? That we should walk in them for they were predestined before time, beforehand, that we might walk in them. Right? 
So I'm his workmanship created in Christ. What's first? I'm his workmanship for good works. And they were predestined beforehand. I was created to live like a son. I was created to manifest God's nature. I was created to bear the fruit of righteousness. That's my creative value. Before time. So God worked on me. I'm his workmanship. I'm now his masterpiece. The master potter. Like that little thing they've been playing. And signs his name on the bottom. You like it, don't you? And now we're ready to what? Live in him. But we're, we're entering in. It's from the place of rest. It's amazing. So watch this. He's not talking. Because this question. Let me read this. I think this question's important here. The way he wrote this. Blah, 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 redeemed. I thought that was the way David wrote this. Oh, okay. He's, we're going to read this verse. And then he says, on this verse above, it's the words of Christ. It's read from heaven, talking to the church, the called out ones, the redeemed ones. And he's threatening to kill them. What's up with that? <laughs> well, applying the slower reading methods, I do see that he also says he will kill her meaning children, her children. So perhaps they aren't his children. But once again, the last part clearly says he's going to give everyone according to his works. And the context doesn't sound so positive. See, it's just sobering. It brings us into truth and the reality that we're either for him or against him. So this is nothing to get shook up about, okay? So watch, we're going to read this. These things, the Son of God, whose eyes are flame of fire, his feet are like fine brands. I know your works. Of course he does. I'm in Revelations 2, verse 18, 19. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. It's the last day of school. I just figured you all know about it. Just figured you're so prophetic. You just, they teased. As for your works, the last are more than the first. So there's some things he's commending here about them. But it's, the subtitle is, what's the subtitle in your Bible for this church? Anybody have a subtitle? What's it say, Vicky? Corrupt. Anybody have anything else? Church and idolatry. Church and idolatry. Anybody else? Okay. Corrupt church is what mine says. Now watch. He's affirming the good things in this church, and he's not, he's singling out something here. He's saying, look, you guys have good works. You actually, your last works are more than the first, but I have this thing here against you. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. He's not criticizing. He's not beating them down. He's not condemning. He's saying, guys, what are you doing? Why are you tolerating this? You've got so many good works and you're on the right page. Why are you being infiltrated with this and not addressing this and setting it straight and acting as if it's okay? He's not addressing, watch. When he speaks these next couple sentences, he's not addressing the blood-bought, called out. He's addressing the ones that are pursuing this lie and actually infiltrating this lie into the church. Corrupting the church. But he's addressing the people of the church for allowing it to simply happen. See, we don't understand that there's scriptures in the Bible that say, watch what it says. It says, if you don't, if, you, if you're a Christian and you say you're a Christian and you're active in sexual morality and you're saying you're a brother and you're a Christian, it says, but yet you're in sexual morality. It says, I say, don't even eat with that person. 
So we hear that in a segregated, legalistic, what he's saying is, don't have a fellowship with that brother and appear as if you're in agreement with their life when people know as if everything's okay. If you have any relationship, it ought to be, man, what are you doing? There's a better way. Look at the statement you're making to people. All that stuff. Instead of just chatting, hey, buddy, well, I love you, man. Hey, but God knows your heart. No, I'm glad you can work it out with her and... See, he says, I'm not telling you to do that with the world. The world doesn't know better. It's 2 Corinthians, I think, 6. 1 Corinthians 5, yeah. Uh, uh, I was actually meant 1 Corinthians 6, but it's 5. It's the end of 5. So, so watch what he's saying. I don't tell you to, to treat the world this way. They don't know any better. Don't hold them to something they don't know. They don't, but the church, you're sending a weird message to the world, to weaker Christians, to other people. You're letting your life give their weakness an excuse. And if leaders and people and Christians accommodate that and just act chummy, and hey, let's go out to eat and everything's fine, without crying and behind doors and scenes with passion, what are you doing, man? I could tell you so many stories of holding people. You have no idea. Taking their shirt and saying, what are you doing, man? You're so much more. That's love. It's not, well, it's okay. We're not preaching some weird mushy thing, but behind the scenes, but we almost, when we're preaching love, we act like these other scriptures aren't there. I'm not, if, 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 if Anthony in his former days was in that position and he knows well and he knows my heart, I would have talked to him, but it wouldn't have been harsh. It would have been in truth. It would have been in love. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, we, we wouldn't have just went out to eat and acted like everything was okay and talked about Jesus. We'd have settled that thing at hand. And, and it would have been behind closed doors. It wouldn't just be out where the rest of the church is saying, well, Dan knows what's going on and he's sure taking a look. Well, see, we're just supposed to love everybody, brother. God will work it out. Not once you have a conviction. See, he says, don't treat the, the church the same way as the world. In Romans, he says... But you're not to judge the world. It says, but don't you judge among yourselves? And what's the first phrase people say? Well, don't judge me. Well, if you're saying you're a Christian and things are out of order, I'm not judging you. It's already exposed. But we're going to talk about it because of family. Yep. Don't you cop out and say, well, don't judge me. That is the biggest cop out. It's because of family. It's a way bigger picture because you've just reduced this thing to self and you and now you're just hiding and in denial and hey, get off my back. Well, you're supposed to love me. Well, you're not my judge. No, but I'm your brother and wonder if I love you and wonder if other people are hanging in the balance. We need to talk. <laughs> Isn't that love? Come on. I'll tell you what, the other thing on the other end that's trying to hide and stay away and squirm away, that's not love. Say, well, you're not supposed to. I mean, the Bible is so clear on this stuff. But we, that's why you hear me preach all the time. Now you can really understand why I preach it. To not be hurt, to not be offended, to minister from the right heart. Because I'm in this stuff constantly. Honestly, I'd be in this if you didn't call me Pastor Dan. Because that's just what I understand and it's in my spirit. And how could I just see something like that and know it's destroying you and act like everything's okay and then go out to eat with you and just act like everything's cool? And then I cry in the car when nobody's looking and it's just me and you. And I say, what are you doing? Man, listen to me. Talk to me. What's happening inside of you? What's allowing you to, well, oh, stop that. You don't even believe that. I've had so many of those conversations. 
stop that. You don't even believe that. That's a sellout. What are you? I, countless. <laughs> it's called love. Amen? Amen? This is what Jesus is doing here. Why don't we let, we, we want a father, let him father us. <laughs> if he wants to sit me down, I tell the Lord, I tell the Lord this. I don't care how you talk to me. I know you love me. You already sent Jesus. You just talk to me. You keep me straight. You father me. I don't want to live thin skin. You talk to me as a son. I tell the Lord that. But does it seem like I have a relationship with him and that I understand his love and that I'm clear conscience and I'm not condemned? Okay, but look how willing I am to be fathered with an unveiled face and I'm not like, oh, oh. Are you kidding? He has talked to me so straight already, like with passion in his voice. Because I relate that way. I sure relate to that. He related with passion already to me. Dan, what are you thinking? What are you doing? (sighs) One time I was praying about fire God, hunger. He said, oh, you're not serious. I was praying for weeks. I'm on this tangent, getting up real early, praying this certain line of prayer. He comes and says, oh, you're not serious. You're learning the language. I said, what? He said, you're just learning how to pray the language. Your heart's not in it or you wouldn't be walking in the same anointing for the last year. (laughs) He started talking to me about taking risks, stepping out in faith, da-da-da, and then the Spirit. And I'm just bawling because I'm thinking, the heart can be so deceived without the grace and mercy of God. I was praying like the best Christian prayer you ever heard, man. I was the hungriest guy on the planet, it sounded like. And God said, Dan, I'm concerned, man. You're just learning how to pray right. (laughs) But your heart's way behind the expression of your mouth. (laughs) And I was like, what? You mean I'm not that hungry? (laughs) But as soon as he said it, who knows that there's such a... That I knew he's right. And I was like, I bawled. And that was a time where, watch what he did. Tongues and interpretation. I started to sing. I was bawling. Spirit came on me. I started to sing. I was singing in tongues. I didn't know what I was doing. I was singing in tongues and it sounded like it had a rhythm to it and it had paragraphs. All of a sudden, you guys ever get open vision? I've only ever had a few. Three paragraphs of a song came out of me in English and three stages of my race in open vision. That was God's answer to correcting me, totally encouraging me in light of the correction. Dan, what are you doing? This is like, this is you. Boom, boom, boom. (gasps) Who knows now when I was praying, I was like, (laughs) you know, you can get into Christianese and just speak the language, right? You know, you can like not talk about God and then you call the pastor and use spiritual terms. Like you're with friends and you're not even talking spiritual and you get around certain Christians and then you talk the language. We do that and don't even realize it. <laughs> I just don't want to do that. I just, God, I want to be so sincere and real. So if you're aware of the nature of God and you're not afraid to let him father you and you're not comparing him to your father because he's the father, then you can pray, so father me, correct me, talk to me however you have to. This thing is important. Life is hanging in the balance. People's souls are depending on the truth in my life. What a privilege. You get it? Okay. Now watch. I have a few things. 
Oh, couldn't it just be one? <laughs> I have a few things <laughs> against you that sometimes I should say that you tolerate. You're tolerating. It's amazing. You allow that woman Jezebel. It's, a, it's like, a, what is a metaphor, the right thing? It's an analogy. He's using her. It's not the woman Jezebel in the Old Testament, but he's comparing it to, she brought in Canaanite worship. She, she corrupt. She was very corrupt. We know the story of Jezebel, right? And, and there's a lot of teaching, spirit of Jezebel, spirit of Jezebel. And people went crazy with that whole thing. Every church they went to, spirit of Jezebel, spirit, oh, there's spirit of Jezebel, there's Jezebel, oh, there's Jezebel. Stop that. I mean, just one, one person tries to encourage you against what you're saying and say, listen, and you go and tell your friend, well, I can tell, I, I smell that a mile away, that's spirit of Jezebel right there, just trying to control me, trying to control me. That's Jezebel right there, we need to find another church, Jezebel hanging out there. I've heard that a million times in 16 years, Spirit of Jezebel. We've made her more amazing than Jesus. She, she's supposed to be exposed so that you never give your heart to her, not believe everybody is functioning by her. It's so you don't become like her, not so you see everybody as her. <laughs> Hello? Oops. Watch this, because it's all about love. Watch, that this woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, he's, he's talking about someone that's infiltrated the church in the name of a prophet. He's talking about an individual in this church. There's somebody in this region that's proclaiming status. He's comparing her to Jezebel, that she has corrupt teaching. Or, or a semblance of people that have that same deception. But he's addressing teachers, people in the church that have influence, that people are gravitating towards. Are you following me? He's not talking right now to the rest of the church. He's talking about this person that's on a bent road. So is he even talking about the blood-washed, blood-bought, called-out ones? Wonder if he's talking about, wonder if there are people like, Paul said there's going to be wolves coming in shortly after I leave that are going to bring in funny teachings and try to gain authority and win you over. And Wonder if it's Peter and what he, we just read that whole thing about Peter. Wonder if it's that and they're just tolerating it. And Jesus is saying, why are you letting this infiltrate what's so good? You hear what he's saying? So he's not talking to Christians right now, to people that are, he's talking to people that need to come clean. And it's harsh and strong in the sense that what you're doing is bringing destruction, and if you don't repent, it's going to bring consequence to your life. It's the love of God to tell you that when you're way out of bounds. In our lives, when somebody was way out of bounds, we didn't even try to tell them that. We judged them as that, and the more cut off they were, the better. God's not doing that. He's calling these people into account, but He wants to do it through the leadership. Why? Because He doesn't have a voice with them. They're not seeking Him. 
So he's talking to the ones that have a voice with him so that they can represent him face to face. They're not in their knees praying for the Spirit of God. They're bringing in seductive doctrine. They're not fasting and praying for more of the anointing. They have agenda and false pretense. And Jesus isn't directly speaking to them. He's speaking to the church that's accountable to shepherd that. Why? Because he has a voice with those people. He doesn't have a voice with them. They're not seeking him. See, this thing is so not difficult. He says, look, there's this doctrine here, teaching and seducing, seducing, look, my servants. It's contaminating my little sheep. It's causing people to stumble. It's giving them permission to live in darkness and violate and defile their destinies. And he cares about it. And they're committing sexual immorality and they're eating things that are sacrificed to idols. And that means that there's some people that don't have faith to do that and it violates and, and it helps defile. And it's, sometimes it's because you've crossed the line so far. Who's ever been in a place in your life where you say, oh, whatever, I messed up so bad. What's the big deal now? And they do something else. You see what I mean? Look, now watch. Listen to the mercy of God. He must have sent convictions before. The love of... Sure he did. He never stops loving. He must have addressed this and confronted this. He must have brought it to the attention of the seductress. Or the people involved, right? Watch. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. And she did not repent. What's happening here? This thing is causing so much harm to innocent people, it's sucking people in. Remember how Peter said that you guys had a knowledge of the Lord Jesus, the Savior, and then you didn't only fall away, you allured other people to follow you. That's serious. That's causing little ones to stumble. That's offending the least of these. That's hurting little sheep. Little peeps. Before they ever get a chance to grow. And develop wings and fly. Feeding on the harmless and the innocent. And it's a big deal with God. When you give time to repent. And he believes because he knows that they know what they're doing. True? He knows that they know what they're doing. Because he gave them time to repent. That didn't mean he just sat with his arms crossed and just said, well, we'll see if you're ever going to change. No, he's speaking all the time, ministering, convictions. Somebody somewhere along the line is saying, man, I don't think this is right. Somewhere along the line. But now they're in this region, in this church. And watch, I gave her time to repent of this and she did not. And now he's just sharing what's going to come of her if this doesn't change. He's not talking to you. He's talking to people that get bent on the way of destruction. He's talking about false teachers, obstinate, apostate, people that set their heart against the way of righteousness. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation 
Wonder if God just pulls back grace. Wonder if He just pulls back covering. Wonder if He just pulls back things and things happen. Wonder if He Himself, like Herod, and he, He's God. He knows. He's not unjust. He knows Herod from beginning to end. And if He makes that decision, it has to be right. When do you give God that credit to be God in justice? And understand His love is great and unfailing. That's why he has to make that decision. Because he sees beginning to end. He sees where men's hearts go. There's people that side with the enemy. There's people that listen to lies. And they, they actually, there's people that have testified that have gotten somehow saved and pulled out of that snare that say that the devil came and promised them kingdoms and, and life eternal and all the things the gospel says, the devil, and they grow in great power and psychic power and, and then all of a sudden somehow they'd get saved. But you can hear the testimony of people in witchcraft and stuff where the devil would make little plea bargains with them and promise them things. Come and meet with them and say, you serve me and I'll this and, and I'll do this and one day you'll be great and all men will fear you like me. You will be second to me. There's different people that have those testimonies that had those encounters. And they go on a tangent and it's like the old wicked rulers in the cartoons growing up, the sinister little guy with the pointy head and ears and <laughs> I'm going to rule the world. And he just wanted the power. And it's to get at engrafted in you. The power and esteem was all about ruling and controlling and being on top. And the gospel says the greatest among you is the least of all, the servant. Do you see the twist? So Jesus is addressing stuff and he's saying, listen, it's these people. He's not talking to the church. He's talking to these people that refuse to change that are hurting the church. And they have set their heart on wickedness. And I've given her time to repent. But he's telling these guys, you need to confront this. Why have you tolerated this? Why have you allowed this to be a part of this church? As if now everybody sees you for this, as if you agree with this. Why don't you take a stand here? Do you understand that it's a reality in Matthew 18? That if somebody's sinning and they refuse to stop sinning and they say well hey you can't control me what well, doesn't matter if I'm sleeping with her that's my business God knows my heart and you say well listen you you can't we don't even want you showing up here with that attitude you're going to hurt young people you're going to give people permission for weakness we love you man you do that stuff with tears but the Bible actually says to treat them like an infidel an unbeliever as if they've never been saved and actually not even let them attend your gatherings the Bible says that. He's talking about a certain heart, an obstinate, willful heart that does so much damage to innocence that says, I refuse to change. Do you still love those people? You cry for them. Your whole church should intercede for them if that ever happens. That is like a very heart-jerking, crying, that, that's not an authority. Well, you can't come to church then. Well, shape up or ship out. Well, then we're kicking you out. It's, it's not like that. But do you see how the language in the Bible says? It talks about that. And see, that's the stuff that you can't miss. He's talking about a certain heart here. It's actually somebody that's not for him at all. Like not even trying. Do you understand this? It has nothing to do with new covenant. When you see the Father, the Son, you've already seen the Father and the will of God to heal. None of these scriptures have any relationship or correlation with your birthright and inheritance through Christ. They're talking about a different heart than you. A heart that you've never even been close to. 
Like the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is a rejecting of his work. It's just a total resisting and refusing and making yourself a God under yourself. So that sin will only be revealed in the end time in judgment when men haven't yielded to him. There's people that won't yield. The Bible says that. It's, 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 it's a scary thing. But you continue to believe the best and pray for all men. Look what he says. I, unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the mind and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. That's what freaked the man out with the question. He says, oh my God, that doesn't sound too positive. He's, that, that language has nothing to do with you. It has to do with obstinate people that are hurting innocent people and hearing the voice of God to repent and having the chance to change and saying, whatever, out of my face, God, I'll do what I want to do. Well, not to innocent people, not to his babies, not to his children. And you can invoke that kind of judgment. Obviously, scripturally, Herod did it. The sorcerer did it, but the sorcerer wasn't a Herod, was he? Or he'd have died, wouldn't he? See, God knows all that stuff. So don't you get caught up in that language. Just learn and understand and just say, wow, I'm so glad that you wooed me and there's a grace on my heart to just want you and want to be in you. I, I, and don't even try. Kathy came up to me and it was sweet. She was trying to understand why people would know the knowledge of the Savior and then return back and maybe they never had a reverence. I said, you know, you can't figure it out. It could be different for every human being. Whether it's just willfulness for us to figure that out. It's not even for us to figure out. Just thank God for truth and just thank God that your heart's alive. And just go on and live your whole life in Christ. You don't have to try to figure that out. It would be meaningless. That's like saying, well, why isn't everybody healed? That is the never-ending discussion in the church. Well, why isn't everybody healed? There's a thousand things you could say that seem to fit. The key is, let's understand the nature of God, the will of God to heal. Let's grow up in Christ and minister Him. Period. And let's forget the question. It's a never-ending rat race question. Okay. So I hit this hard. I, I took some straight on questions. Was this helpful? Yeah. This for you guys? This is, this is a lot of stuff. Uh, but you realize there's only, there's only one, two, three. I brought up two more, four solid examples. There might be five or six in the whole New Testament. And every single example addresses the obstinate, calls people son of the devil, working your way constantly against righteousness. And none of it's talking to the born again. None of it. So to try to find the nature of God through that, no. It's how man is causing God to respond because of willfulness and the lack of repentance and obstinance. But none of these scriptures and examples have anything to do with covenant, the nature of God and the new covenant through his blood, does it? Watch this. This will settle it all in closing. And this will... Finish out our school. If any one of these people would have cried out at any point and said, I'm sorry, what was I thinking? What would happen immediately? Without question. True? Then why are we so stumbled when they don't and God has to respond? Because we all know in our hearts if any one of these would have heard what God's really crying out for and would have just said, what was I thinking? Forgive me. Even like Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me? Is there any hope for me now that I've done all these things and hurt so many people? And you really care, what would God do immediately? Scoop you up. 
and hold you and say, I love you. If he did it to a witch doctor that was dead for six hours, cursing God, and walked into him in a vision or whatever, or face to face, and said, I love you, I bet he would scoop us up, huh? We just know that because of the blood. So what a good way to resolve that. If any of these scenarios would have repented, they'd have instantly. That sorcerer that went blind, wonder if he'd have fell to the ground and cried out and said, God, have mercy on me. Who was I to stand against you? What was I thinking? Forgive me of the audacity of sin and the presumption of my heart. And sincerely cried out, what would have happened to him? He'd be amazed. His eyes would have probably popped right open. And he'd have got born again. Why? Because he loves him. Don't ever forget that. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And the Pharisees and Sadducees are saying, come down from the cross. You saved others. You can't save yourself. Come down if you're the son of God. No, I can't because I am the son of God. I'm not here to save myself. I'm here to save you guys. If I'd listen to you, you'd never be saved. But I listen to love and you have a chance. (laughs) That's my Jesus. Let that be your Jesus too. (laughs) I felt that one. I'm just going to close on that one. I can't take any more questions. It's 12. It's the last day. Why don't we stand to our feet and let's just pray. just pray and release faith on these last 13 weeks let's just thank God for the privilege of truth amen in the in the word I'm not 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 I'm not saying the privilege of this school and all the teaching what I'm saying is the privilege of truth that God gave us his son and he is truth made manifest he's the word of God father we just thank you right now for the great privilege of gathering together week after week day after day It really did go fast and just thank you for all the relationships and all the fun and and all the laughs and, and just all the things that took place here. But most of all, Lord, right now we submit to you and thank you for truth that you would love us so much that you would send your son. Please let that message scream loud in the heart of every student that you would love us so much that you would send your son. And I thank you that through this school and through these teachings, you've broken off chains of limitation, of, 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 of spiraling, of, of just backpedaling, of condemnation, guilt, shame, that these things, I'm asking, Father, for a grace right now that you would release these students into a freedom from all these things, that these things would be so seen and discerned for what they are, that truth would come and continually make freedom possible in every heart, every soul, every life, that, Lord, you would form yourself in us in such a way that you would manifest through us like never before. We're asking that love would dominate and lead our lives, and that, Lord God, we would understand true righteousness and true justice, that you would even grant us wisdom right now in Jesus' name, and and even an increased authority through knowing your love. And, Father, I bless every student, and even these students standing here and everyone online right now, that you would impart a grace right now to just follow you, to just run with the yes of our hearts and the yes of your heart, to co-labor with you, to have union and communion with you like never before. I'm praying that each student would experience an intimacy like they haven't known before. That, Father, there'd be a grace of relationship, a grace of face-to-face. Father, that we wouldn't just approach you with our head, but we'd be found in you from our heart, that you would hold us and empower us and send us forth with power. 
And Father, I just thank you that Mark 3 would come to pass in our lives, that you ordained that we might be with you. And from that place, you sent them to heal and do great things in your name. So Father, I thank you right now for the grace of relationship over every student because I know in my heart, Lord, nothing compares with our ability to be with you and spend time with you and that all life flows from knowing you. And I'm asking that a grace of understanding and knowing you would come upon us like never before. And I just pray that over every single student, Lord. And I just pray that identity would be so formed and so knit and so established that we'd never look back. We'd never be a Lot's wife. That there wouldn't be one Lot's wife among us. That none of us would be trapped between our past and our future. But Lord God, we would be running this race worthy of a prize. I pray and I ask this grace on every student. I ask that you bring the clarity of understanding to every heart in areas that seem unresolved. I ask that you would come and father us and teach us how to find resolve in our heart in your presence, God. And I'm asking again and again, Lord, it seems redundant, but it's so in my heart that God reality in our lives would surpass any season we've ever known. That you being real in my own heart would be greater than before. And you being alive inside of me and loving me would be like more than I've ever understood. Yes. Lift your hands high to him. I just believe in that. It's not an emotional plea. It's my heart cry. It's why I do what I do. And I believe that, God. And as they stretch out in you, I just ask your grace to come upon everyone. I release you into intimacy. I release you into the fellowship of the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. To unveiled face-to-face -face communion and union. To intimacy. Where you receive the seed of God. Where you get so pregnant with who He is that everything you give birth to looks like your dad. I believe that over you. I ask you to impregnate them, God, again and again through intimacy. Let them have many children, God, that look just like you. <laughs> Let people look at their life and say, wow, that looks just like your dad. You look like your dad. I'm asking that spiritual intimacy and union to take place like never before. And I thank you there's not one reason why we can't be found in you. I thank you you have removed them away. And every one of us has access through your son. Holy Spirit, come right now and mark every heart for destiny. Mark every life here in this place and online. Mark every person for your glory. And I thank you we will run worthy of a prize. Not beating the air as a man who doesn't know what he's running. Not frivolously or fruitlessly. But I thank you we are calculated we are on track. We see because you've given us light. Thanks for your amazing love, Father. We receive it and thank you for the honor of this class and these people. I bless them and I thank you for your great grace in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Bless you guys. Yay. Yay. I'm going to eat seaweed. I promise. I'm eating this seaweed. <laughs> What are they? They're like Starburst, but they're like cola flavor. Are they from Korea? Yeah, they're Korean. There's no English on there. Well, wonder if I just take like one and you pass them around so people well, can I've, I've try. I put a bunch out. Did you put a bunch out there? there? But, okay. Like, we're in here talking. I will take them. Just a hug till we see you. Oh, see you again. bless you. <laughs> mm.
Bless you guys. We love you guys. My Like, I'm glad you have something like that, like a keepsake. Like whenever, whenever you want to.